You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back for the second episode of the 2021 pre-season podcast that we're doing. Uh, and I did promise that we'd have a former champion on for this second episode after Billy graciously gave us his presence on the first one and did very, very well talking about his eels because it's hard for him to talk them up. Um, we've got the opposite here. We're going to talk about Brisbane tonight as well as the Bulldogs. And I've got Wilfred on, and I don't think Wilfred's going to have any trouble talking up the Broncos, are you? Oh, come on, mate. After, <laughs> after 2020, after the season the Broncos had, there's only one where they're going. It's got to be up, right? We've got to be honest. I, I've seen the forums, okay? I, I've seen the discussions and things. According to Facebook, you know, your team last year, 1-17 to 17 was all Brisbane Broncos in your Supercoach team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's... There's there's certainly some rumours out there, and for for me, I you know I laugh it off. And the truth is, yes, I did have Milford in my team the whole year, but it wasn't for lack of trying to get him out of it. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I can vouch for you. I know we've chatted during the season um, on our chats and stuff, and I know that you were trying to get rid of him, but you just couldn't. Wilfred's obviously a um, uh, one of the two, well, f- formerly two podcast hosts of the Supercoach Champions podcast, but you've got some exciting news with your one. You've just dropped your first episode for that for the season, and two's now become three. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, a bit of forward planning, um, so a bit of a spoiler alert for those who haven't listened to the Champions pod, um, but uh, basically, you know, my, my co-host Bear um, guy, he, he's... Uh, Got another little bump on the way, so super exciting news for him, but it means that he's going to be out of action mid-season when I really need a co-host. So we've got uh, Joe Fitz, uh, otherwise known as Search Buster. He's come on board as one of the, you know, the weekly heads, and um, yeah, he'll it'll it'll be a two-man show from uh, probably around about mid-season on when when guys off, uh, you know, being a father and all that type of stuff. Good stuff. Well, um, obviously, everyone. That probably listens to this, mostly listens to Champions 2 and vice versa, so it's always good to have some crossover, um, and it's always fun to talk to you about the Broncos in particular, so <laughs> how are you finding the off-season anyway before we get into it? Have you found yourself um, missing the footy and stuff? I said to Billy last week, for me, it was very much, uh, came around very, very quickly. Yeah, look, I think for me, I kept myself pretty busy with NFL fantasy, and that only wrapped up a couple of weeks ago, so... Not that I haven't been keeping tabs on all the player movements and stuff for rugby league, but I certainly feel I've felt the shortened off season, that's for sure. And yeah, like I'm I'm keen to go because especially for me, Broncos fan, like twenty twenty can't get away sooner enough, right? The the sooner we get onto twenty twenty one, there's some hope again, you know. There's the chance that we're not the wooden spoon winners yet again. But <laughs> I'll have to yeah. get you on about six games in and see whether you're still as optimistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's 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 we'll, we'll definitely revisit that one. But at this stage, you know, there's some hope there. Now, like I mentioned, we're going to get into the Brisbane Broncos team preview. We're also going to do the Canterbury Bulldogs team preview. We'll start off with the Broncos because obviously Wilfred is our guest on the podcast for this week. So uh, first things first, I mean, I'm going to go through both the draw for Brisbane and also 
the ins and outs as far as their roster management for 2021. But overall, without you know talking too specific on players and stuff, because we'll go through them, how are you kind of feeling about this year? You are legitimately optimistic. I don't think we're going to go 16th again. So, yes, we're going to be better. <laughs> how much better? I don't know. Like, I, I, I've had a chat to a couple of people. Um, you know, I think you've seen some of those chats, uh, you know, in one of our ground, you know, Supercoach Grand Zero chats. Uh, there's always me going off. Uh, against a, a couple of other people. Garrett is one of them, a uh, hardcore Knights fan. But, you know, I said to him that I thought, you know, Broncos probably, you know, won't make the finals, but the range of outcomes for them, I realistically think, is maybe somewhere like 7th to like 13th, 14th, something like that. So 7th is like everything possibly going right, you know, dream season, and their, their, their ceiling's probably still 7th. Uh, realistically, I think they're going to be in that 9 to 12 range. Worst case scenario, I, I, I don't think we're going to be a bottom 4, but if we are, I think we're like around 13th. On those threads, I did make the comment, and I'll, I will be honest about it, even though, you know, I'm probably going to upset at least half a state when I say this, but I said to Wilfred on that same thread, you know, I, I can't see Brisbane not being bottom 4. I, I did say that I think their range is 10 to 16, uh, but I think that that sort of finishing 10th is like, it's a really good season for Brisbane. I love the team. Um, I've said to Wilfred for years, I don't think Kevin Walters is a phenomenal coach. He did well in Origin, but Origin coaching is very different to club coaching. And now he's finally a club head coach. You know, I think it's a pretty big learning curve for him to jump in at a Brisbane side that's just gotten the spoon. A lot of pressure. I really don't believe that they can um, they can turn around. I do think that you are a chance at the wooden spoon, Wilfred. I'd never say like pre-season, Broncos are getting the spoon again. But the, the comp's just so tight, mate. Like, I, I, I had somebody um, sort of disagree with me about Cronulla the other day on Facebook on one of the pages. And they were like, oh, there's no way that Cronulla's in the running for the wooden spoon. I was like, well, look, it's not, it's not as much in the NRL about saying that a team's terrible and that's why they're going to get the wooden spoon. It's a very good competition. Like, there is really no shit sites. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it can legitimately just be you have a decent run of wins and you still end up 15th, 16th. See, I think a couple of things there. One, I think you got it around the wrong way. There's very few good sides. There's a lot of bad ones. <laughs> there isn't much separation between sides, I guess, is the pessimistic Wilfred way of putting that one. <laughs> the, the wooden spoon Broncos fan Wilfred speaking right here. So, yeah, it's all about pessimism this right. Uh, but look, I think, um, going back to Kevy, like, I don't rate him as a coach at all. I think in Origin, they, they won in spite of themselves. Well, or, or that was Wayne Bennett more so, but like, they competed in Origin in spite of Kevy's best efforts. To be honest though, like, him taking control of the Broncos, yeah, I agree. Look, I think he's going to be out of his depth. To be honest, I think he can't go as bad as Anthony Seabold and his staff. And, you know, everything that he did seemed to go absolutely wrong for the Broncos. Kevy understands the Broncos' culture, and if anything, he will at least get that back on track. I'm not that down on the roster. Uh, there are certainly holes, but is it a wooden spoon roster? Like, if you looked at this team at the start of 2020, I don't think you would have said they're going to win the wooden spoon. So to me, that's why I think there's a lot more hope, I guess you could say. Um, so by virtue of the Broncos actually playing as a team and actually defending properly and not giving up in games... I think that in itself will get them more than you know three, four wins. I think that'll be enough to lift them off the bottom of the ladder. So in a roundabout <laughs> way, what you're saying is that they'll finish 15th this year. 
<laughs> like I said, I think you know thirteenth is my prediction for worst possible finish this year. Okay, well I I'm going to say that I think that's um, that's probably fair. Um, but you spoke about the roster, so let's just talk about that quickly. Uh, I think if anything, that at best they broke even with their gains and losses. Uh, I don't love the signings. But yep. they brought in John Asiata from the Cowboys. He's a decent signing, although I think people have gotten a little bit carried away about him. It's not like he could cement a, side, a starting spot in the side of North Queensland Cowboys who haven't been going crash shot either. So decent, uh, a good bench signing, um, but he's not going to set the world on fire. Probably a, a depth signing. He's not really going to play unless you have any injuries in the back line, likely. Uh, David Mead is the same. A few Broncos fans, I think, are getting overly excited about Mead. He's well and truly yeah. passed it, aside from you know, fill in depth, so you'd hope that he was a minimum wave signing, which I think he was, so that's fine. You know, Jack Bird can play, and he's gone. He wasn't playing last year, but he can play. I, I'm not Jack Bird's biggest fan. He can play first grade. Darius Boyd was bad. He's retired. David Fafita, obviously a big loss for Fafita. Um, yeah. I, I like O'Sullivan, uh, but he wasn't really getting game time there with Dearden anyway. Joe O, I don't like, but I do as a bench forward. So I kind of think that you've lost a little bit there. I mean, even if you just say Fafita and Joe O versus, you know, Asiata coming in basically as far as your top 17, you know, I think that you've lost a little bit, but, you, you know, you haven't gotten hugely worse um, potentially if we look at it positively. So that's the roster as far as the Broncos go. Not huge changes aside from the superstar of Fafita, really. Looking at the draw, Wilfred, let's talk about that before we get into the players. Doing a run over the draw, uh, I wasn't... I wasn't too keen. Um, so the Broncos obviously have a lot of the Thursday, Friday night games because they're the Broncos and we need to see them on TV every week. But um, <laughs> aside from that, and it's a, it's a joke that just never gets old, so I'm sorry, guys. You're going to hear it a lot this year. But they don't have as many home games as probably what they have in the past during um, some slots. And certainly, like I said to Billy last week, I'm looking at really yeah, the first sort of five weeks, I think it's really important, five or six weeks, and then sort of definitely up to the halfway point of the season. When I'm looking at my round one side, those are the kind of the compartments that I'm looking in um, the first couple months. When they're starting off the draw, it sounds okay. You know, the Broncos have got the Eels, which, you know, the, the Eels are a pretty good side, I think, they've, um, and they start well at least. Uh, then they've got the Titans, which is a little bit easier potentially, maybe a non-top eight side, but it is a local... Derby and uh, the Titans, I think, had the wood on you last year. And then you've got the Bulldogs, which is a bit of an easier game again as far as, you know, the scheme of things. But then you hit a real bad patch where you've got the Storm in round four, the Rabbits in round five. Both of those are away, I believe. Um, then you've got the Panthers. Then you hit the Eels again. Um, and then it's nice that you get the Titans again in round eight um, and then the Cowboys as well. So you get to stay in Queensland for those two. But then you've got a killer where you go, you know, the, the Seagulls away, the Roosters away, and the Storm back home. You know, so you just seem to have these runs of three or four games in that first twelve, which you do not like much at all if you're a Super Coach person that's looking for Super Coach points from the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, round thirteen, they do play the big buy, which is the other important thing in the first half of the season. So for me, Wilfred, it's a bit of a mixed bag for the um, the draw. I certainly wouldn't be wanting to get Brisbane players in for Supercoach because of that draw. Yeah, look, I think I agree with you on the whole. Uh, one thing I will say, round 10, Seagulls away is actually magic round, so they get to play a Suncorp. Oh, which, okay, that's a bit better. Yeah, not not, a, not too bad. Uh, and, yeah, look, obviously 
there's a few games in there which I think it's certainly like I think the Eels one is in Darwin um, in round seven, so it's certainly yep. not a really a home game for either. If anything, the Broncos probably a bit more accustomed to that hotter weather. Um, so it, look, it's a mixed bag for sure. Uh, the only, I guess it's I, I see it as a pretty tough run to start off with. Uh, I think you know you're not buying Broncos players because you think they're going to go out on a flying because you know they, they're not going to go out super fast because there's a great attacking run coming up. Like you're buying them because they're undervalued. You think their base is going to handle, um, you know, you can park them on the bench and let them gradually appreciate and cash that type of thing. Uh, that's that's the thing I would have behind it. Uh, the only thing I will say is that you know over the first month, um, you know. First six, seven rounds, I think they barely leave Queensland. Aside from one trip to Melbourne, one trip to Sydney, most of the other time, all the other games are all in uh, either in Brisbane or the Gold Coast, which is not really a, a huge, huge trek for them, uh, or, or basically in Suncorp. So it's not too bad overall, I reckon. I, I, I agree with you on the whole. Like certainly, you're not picking the Broncos players because of the draw. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's that's a big issue, really, when you're talking about the backs, especially. I think with the forwards, it's probably not as big a deal. Um, but with the backs, I think the draw definitely matters. The other last thing I'll say on the draw is uh, one positive of it. I did notice there was some, some really interesting breakdowns of the draw that you can find online. If you ever want to do research and stuff, look up things like um, 20, 21 draw breakdowns, and you'll see things like... Uh, you know, the, the average turnarounds of all the teams between the games. And the other interesting thing is, you know, how many night versus day games people play. Um, and I think that's kind of important, especially the start of the year when guys are a little bit unfit. The night games are a little bit easier, especially in the hot Queensland weather. Uh, and the Broncos, something like 80% of their games are actually night games for the season. Um, they are one of the teams that play far more night games than what they do day games. Uh, and I think that's going to help with guys that are, potentially out of shape sometimes. Um, I'm talking about the Anthony Milfords that have been in the Donut <laughs> Club before, plenty of times, and I don't think Kevy's too much of a hard coach, so I think he'd sneak a few extra Krispy Kremes this year again. Um, and then I'm also talking about the the guys as well, like TPJ and stuff that maybe aren't as committed at times or can carry a few extra kilos and stuff. Um, so that that might be a bit of a positive. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit on the draw too. But, you know, let's get into the Broncos team because everyone wants to hear about the players. Um, and we're going to talk about the guns first. Now, funnily enough, you know, the Broncos did have a couple of really good guns in season 2020. Uh, none other than Payne Huss led the way on that. Um, he had a base of 63 points in raw base. Uh, it was nice when he started offloading too. He had a few really nice runs of offloading. Didn't actually score a try all year until the very, very last round. You could say that there's room for improvement there. Average 72 minutes a game for his 75 points a game. That was actually down from his 78 uh, points a game in 2019. The big thing that I noticed with this Wilfred, uh, and like all the numbers are great, he's a phenomenal player. Everybody's going to have him in their team at some point. But he comes in priced at 668000 which is right up there with the highest, you know, Price forwards between second row and front row forward. And there is a few interesting things when you look at his numbers. Now, number one is he's 72 minutes. Obviously, Kevin Walters has come out and said he's not going to play him that much. Um, and I said all year, and you would have heard me several times, but so would have everyone else, that why are you burning Payne Haas out? You know, he's a young guy. He's got a good motor, but, you know, you're down 20 points with... 15 minutes left, like, why are you putting him back on? Things like that. Like, it just didn't make any sense. You don't burn out your young studs. 
yeah. because the back end of the season, that really comes back to you because guys get lethargic and tired. So Kevin Walters has said he's not going to do that. Um, you know, so if Payne Huss goes from um, 72 minutes a game to 60 minutes a game, he's still going to be good, but he's, he, there's no way he's going to be as good as what he was. So you're going to be paying overs in that respect. And probably the other thing that I noticed too is, and you, you would have seen this for sure, Wilfred, because you're a big numbers guy. I was really surprised looking at the numbers, um, how his PPMs dropped off from 2019 to 2020. And I did kind of feel like, I don't know whether it was he was mailing in a little bit. Um, he wasn't being as aggressive. He wasn't really ripping in his time as much as he did. Whether he was trying to conserve himself because he was playing bigger minutes, I'm not sure. But his PPM in 2019 was 1.23, and that dropped to 1.05, which is a pretty significant drop-off in PPM. Um, and that meant that in 2019, he got his 78 points, which is three points better than 2020, in eight less minutes. There's two ways to look at that, and I'm interested on your theory on this. One way is the glass half full, which a lot of super coaches are starting to look at, and that is, uh, look, he did it before in less minutes, he's just going to go harder, and he's able to get that PPM up really high anyway in the reduced minutes, so there won't be any difference. You know, you're still going to get what you pay for type of thing, at least. The other way to look at it, and I, I don't know which way I'm going to go on it, but I've seen plenty of players, especially forwards, do this before, where they come in super aggressive, uh, super wanting to prove themselves and everything, and and then kind of fall into a lull of, okay, I've submitted my first grade spot now, I'm a star now, I can take it easy a little bit. And, and it just happens, you know. I, I'm going to use an example that will make you cry, Wilfred, but and some of the young, young listeners, you, you guys might not remember this, but Aaron Woods might look pretty ordinary now, but when Aaron Woods broke into grade, he was a phenomenal front rower. Like, I would rate him as probably the best front rower for a two-year period when he came in. He was really good. And he did this exact thing. You know, he came in and he went super hard. He was super energetic. He did it. And it was a great workload, big motor for a big man. And I was like, wow, look at this guy. And then obviously he changed his game and became a bit of a plotter and just a bit of a workhorse. And that just happened, you know, within two or three years. So those are my concerns, Wilfred. But the last concern is, is he even going to play the first rounds? Because I kind of think that he's going to get suspended a week or two. So uh, answer these questions for the listeners, because I can't even answer these ones. <laughs> uh, where do I start? I mean, look, obviously the suspension, you just wait and see, right? I think his court date's in February. It should be before the season starts. We'll get some clarity there. So, look, don't lose any sleep without it. Uh, my advice would be put him in your team. And if he's out, then you get more money to play with when you downgrade him to you know, Clemmer or whoever else you want to put in there instead. Um, now, when it comes to looking at the minutes, yeah, sure. I think he's been, he's on record saying he's going to play 60 minutes, uh, which, I mean, 60 is much closer to 63 minutes per game that he was averaging in 2019 when he averaged 78 points per game. And you're right, because he went from scoring four tries with six line breaks or thereabouts uh, in 2019. So, you know, a lot more impact, basically. And he went from that to... You know, as you said, one try, and it was like a really lucky try where he just right place, right time, didn't do anything for it, really. Uh, no line break with it, and he had one try assist, uh, courtesy of an offload uh, that came pretty luckily, and he had a line break assist with that as well. So, you know, four tries, six line breaks to one try, one try assist, one, like, two line break assists. So that's a huge drop in attacking stats. You'll find, I think, uh, if you break down the numbers, his base and base attack, uh, both years was actually around 73. Yep. So 
it doesn't really change uh, in terms of his work rate in that sense. So I think if anything, lower minutes, sure, it may cap his base, but I think you'll find he's going to be a lot more effective on the field. The other thing I think you'll find is the Broncos were unable to hold the ball um, last year. So they were basically tackling or trying to tackle and missing a lot. Uh, so I think that also played into things for Payne Haas as well. So, uh, you know, the more time they don't have the ball, the less he's making runs. So I think you'll notice there's probably a bit of a drop from 2019 uh, to, to 2020 overall. It's This is where it's difficult because I looked at 2020 and I was trying to work out how much of 2020 is attributed to just the rule change, um, you know, the six again, um, and the fact that with 2021, they're now, I think there's an, a further adjustment, right? There, there's going to be um, one more, which was uh, offside. Um, yeah, the 10 so, meter rule, right? So, yeah, yeah. so if you're, if you're inside the 10 meters, instead of blowing the penalty, they're just going to call the six again, uh, which, I, which I don't personally like at all. I think that they're, they're going a bit too far with it because you want to be able to take the kick for meters and stuff. And I think that sometimes that's a bit better. Uh, totally agree with you there. So, I think, you know, Having said that, from a super coach standpoint, that probably means more, you know more ball and play, more runs for the attacking team. Probably guys who probably can't make tackles for at least one or two tackles while they try to get back on side. So that that can be a, a bit messier there as well. But look, I think you know how much of 2020's score increases uh, based off just ball being in play more, um, and how much of it like in terms of the blowouts the Broncos in particular face was that just because they were just in such horrible shape, not the right shape to be playing the faster pace, but now they're going to have a full preseason to get ready for it. Uh, you know, sure, the, the, the preseason training reports are so always so fraught with danger, but, you know, from what I understand, the reports are that all the Broncos showed up in really good shape to start preseason, let alone, you know, where they're at now. So if anything, that tells me that they're probably going to be a lot fitter and more suited to playing the style of footy that you needed to be able to play. To, to, to break that down for Payne Haas, I think, does that mean he's going to be you know, operating at a higher PPM, most likely you know, going to find some more attacking stats? You know, I don't think he's so unreasonably priced that you wouldn't be able to just lock him in for the season. To me, that plus the cost of a trade, I'm happy to... If he's playing round one, I'm happy to stick, you know, set and forget him. Because, as you said, you're going to want him at some point. And, you know, if he's starting out and averaging 70 instead of 75, like, I don't think that five-point gap is, you know, sure, you might get him for 100 grand cheaper at one point, but how late in the season is that going to be? I'm going to go the opposite of that one, Wilfred. Um, I I completely get how you're skidding the cat on him, but I'm going to go the other way and say five points is going to matter to me because... and. This is, uh, this is as much a cliche as, you know, smashing the beat test and best he's ever looked at everything else in the preseason. But <laughs> I, I'm happy to go with the cliche that you can't buy everyone round one. And I'm confident that, you know, a Madison is going to get me at least what I pay for, if not more. You know, I'm confident that an Angus Crichton with that draw even is going to get me, you know, what I pay for, if not more. Um, Tom yeah. Malolo, I'm not hugely sold on to even having my team at the moment because I'm looking at some of these other guys as well, but he might be. But again, he's someone who I'm, I'm, I know that I'm going to get what I pay for. None of these guys have any question marks on getting less minutes and that we're hoping that they're going to, you know, raise their PPM like they did to you. It's all, it's all fine. 
So I don't see any risk with that. Um, and you can't buy more. So, I mean, do you leave a Madison out so you can have a pain Huss? Do you, you know, I, I wouldn't do that myself and I'm not going to. I wouldn't say to anyone, you're silly for doing that. Um, it's a bit of a preference thing. But I think that that's where it comes down to why it can be good to leave out pain Huss. At the moment, I have, um, simply because I, I've got to buy some guns later and I see him as an easier one to buy later than others. And with the minutes and stuff, you know, generally if a coach is going to play someone less minutes and not want to burn them out, I think that that starts at the start of the season. So 57, 58 minutes might be what we see from Payne Huss in the first few weeks when he's trying to figure out the, the rotation and shorten those minutes for Payne um, as far as Kevy's rotation goes. Maybe it's sort of five or six weeks in, we're seeing go 60, 61 type of thing. Um, and that's sort of where I'm seeing it. Those other guys, I've got no issue with them. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, let me ask you this first. You've never taken Teddy out of your team, right? He's been there all the time. Oh, I don't want to say I never have, but yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty much, pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because I'm going to say, like, right now, I'm looking at my draft team. I've got Damien Cook, Pan Haas, Angus Crichton, Ryan Madison, Tom Lolo. I've got um, Cherry Evans. I've got Munster. I've got Turbo. I've got Pappenhausen. Mm-hmm. I've got all those guys. I just don't have Tedesco, and that's what happens when you don't have Tedesco. You can f- afford a lot more players. <laughs> So, I mean, for me, like, I'd go, you know, um, say Tedesco and, and TKO over, you know, Payne yeah, Huss. and have TKO as well. He's partnering Payne Huss at the front. Oh, look at me. you. Look, the Daily Telly loves giving out some extra salary cap to the past champions. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've got 140 grand still sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of teams are going to struggle to get everyone that they want into their 17. And I, I know that I'd have to sacrifice someone. For Payne Huss, and I'm just, I don't think that I need to do that. Um, not with the Fords that are available. Probably what we'll finish on with Haas Wilford. I'm, I'm gonna say that you're a yes start with him. I'm a, I think that you could go either way, and I myself am not going to start with him, and I'm pretty cemented in that, um, for the reasons that I've said. You can't go wrong with him though. He's a gun, he's gonna be a gun. I think that he's gonna be closer to 70 points to start off with than what he is going to be to 75 or 78 that he's done the last two years, so. Um, that's sort of my take on it, but I'm sure that it'll go well. Uh, there, there'll be no question about that. Yeah, I guess m- the last thing I'll say on that is don't avoid Haas just because of your the, the minutes. I don't think that's the reason you stay away from him, if I can put it that way. Can you see reality where he plays 12 minutes a game less and still scores as much or more? Because I, 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 mean, just, I just don't see that happening. I mean, he played nine minutes less in 2019. He's averaged three points more per game. Yep. No, look, it's a fair yeah. reason. But three years later, um, outside of his first full season, I just don't see him being able to go back and do that because not many players can. I haven't seen many that have gone back and been able to do what they did at the start when they went gangbusters and were trying to cement their spot. Yeah, and look, this is where it comes down to what you believe about the Broncos in 2020. To me, I still... And look, I'm trying not to be the optimistic Broncos fan because I'm pretty pessimistic about my team. But to me... Guys like Payne Haas, they were still on the field. They were trying, but you know they weren't trying as hard as they were in 2019. So yeah. I can, I was confident that Haas still had something left in the tank. He was, he would have been able to go harder if he wanted to. It just, you know, why bother when you're down 50 points or whatever? So, you know, that that's that's in that in itself is an attitude problem. But you know what I mean? Like I think there's there's a high higher likelihood that he can give more in limited minutes than he would be able to, than, you know, just being on the field. And, you know, you're right. Like, towards the end, he was definitely phoning in. 
Yeah, I'm interested to see, um, even just for his career, how he actually um, goes because he he does need to turn that around so it doesn't turn into a bit of an attitude thing, which I'm not saying he's got, but if there's enough no, smoke and it, it keeps happening. He definitely does. It definitely does have an attitude issue. I'm pretty sure about that. But so far, it hasn't really translated to an on-the-field issue. Yep. Like on the field, once he steps on it, he's got no issues, but um, it certainly seems like he's got a couple of questionable attitude problems, that's for sure. Yeah, I look, I, I agree. I was just more being polite for you, but uh, let's, um, <laughs> let's move on. Um, we needed to talk on Payne Huss for a fair while because he's the biggest gun and he's one of the best players in the game. But Patrick Carrigan is an out and out gun as well. He averaged 67 points a game last year. He did that in 68 minutes. Obviously, it was the first year that he actually got a cemented starting role the year before. He only saw 35 a game in the 34 minutes off the bench that he was getting. He's the definite starter now. He's captain the side for a number of games as well. I thought that he had a fantastic year, Wilfred. Yeah, let's look at the numbers for Carrigan. And one of the things that the average score of 67 doesn't tell us is four of his last six games, he actually played 80 minutes. And he played six 80-minute games for the season. And across those six 80-minute games he played for the season, he went above 77 points a game. Uh, so it was phenomenal scoring. Uh, it was right up there. Um, and now he's playing in the 13 jersey, potentially, because there's some speculation that maybe he'll move into the prop rotation or TPJ or go to 13. Really takes away from his maybe in 2021. He doesn't have the dual front row forward, second row forward that's been taken away from him. Um, that's a bummer. Looking at his price, you know, he is going to be less than Payne Haas. Um, so Haas came in at 668000 and you can get a Patrick Carrigan for 591000 So, you know, close to eighty grand less. Um, so there is some argument that maybe sub 600 he's quite a cut-price gun that can be undervalued because he started the season off with a lot less minutes and then built them up. Um, so, you know, he... 61 minutes, 75 minutes, 55, 52, 56, 49. That was his first couple months of football and then an injured game. And then he went up to the most minutes that he's played aside from one week in the first two months, 64 minutes in round eight, and then was playing, you know, 70s and 80s for most of the rest of the weeks till round 20. So to me, he could be even a little bit undervalued. I like what he does in the 70 to 80 minute role. Where do you see his role? Do you think that he might be able to capture that? I think he's playing 50 minutes this year. Oof. There's actually been some chat. Um, it's in the Talking with TK podcast. He interviews Terry Madison, who's the assistant coach at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where they confirmed Haas 60 minutes, Carrigan 50 likely. So I think it's actually, like as a Broncos fan, I like that. I think he's going to be better for the team playing 50 minutes than he would than playing 80 and this is where, you know, I'm definitely, look, look, don't get me wrong, I love Carrigan. I had him in my team all year, yes, last year. I actually hated him playing 80 minutes for the Broncos because he, for all his effort, for all his, um, you know, hard work and stuff, he actually did a lot. <laughs> he made a lot of stupid mistakes and bad defensive reads and, you know, boneheaded penalties. Uh, a lot of it came when he was just gassed. And yep. that's why I, it just... Sure, it was great for Supercoach. And look, don't get me wrong, he he never stopped trying. And that's one thing I'll always, you know, credit him for. But he, arguably, he did more damage than good on those, you know, that 10, 15, 20-minute period where he was just gassed but on the field and still trying his guts out. So to me, 50, maybe 60 minutes is, I think, the sweet spot for him as an actual NRL player. 
So to me, like hearing him play 50, 55, 60 minutes, that's great for the Broncos, not so good for Supercoach, and I'll definitely be staying away from round one. Um, look, the soonest, the soonest sign we see him going to get 65 to 80 minutes, I'll be all over him, even if he's just, um, you know, back row only. But I think a lot of the, keeping in mind, you know, David Fafita only played nine games last year. Uh, Pangai only played nine games last year. So those were pretty important forwards who were missing for a large chunk of the season. And I think you'll find a lot of the 80-minute games was definitely when Pangai was not there. And with Pangai, I think, uh, and, you know, we might transition to him shortly, but he's going to be an important player for the Broncos this year. He's uh, supposedly playing middle, as you flagged there before. He might be playing lock. He might be playing prop. I don't know where specifically, but he's going to be that impact guy. I think he's going to get a sizable chunk of the minutes playing in the middle. Carrigan's um, talk of potentially 50 minutes, was that talk because they were saying that he will be moved to prop or they think he'll be moved to prop and that's where the 50 comes from? Or he'll no. be at 13 getting 50 minutes? I don't think they, they, they specified that, unfortunately. They're just talking about game time there. Ah, okay. So, yeah, I wish I knew. I don't think it's... To be honest, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that hasn't been get locked in. Uh, and, you know, it, it might be one of those situations where it doesn't really matter what number they were on the back. They might still have a pretty similar role regardless in terms of what they do for the team. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Carrigan is that everything that he does is dependent on his minutes for Supercoach. So he, he out of his 67 points a game, 64 of them were raw base. He had absolutely no attack at all in him. And he is a player that could have some attack in him. He's, he's got the ability, I think, but he just didn't do any of it last year. Uh, he had zero tries. His offload wasn't there hardly at all. Um, so he's only getting three non-base points a week in Supercoach 367 average. So certainly less minutes, maybe more attack could happen, uh, but you can't go near him um, if he's not playing towards that 70-minute mark. Um, he's just he's just completely negated as a super coach option. Wilfred, with the dropping the knowledge from the other podcast there, see if it pans out for round one when we see TLT and how it works. But let's talk about TPJ. I, got, I have him as a big balls pod, um, and that's for very obvious reasons. You know, um, you got burnt by TPJ last year. You were also elated at other times. He's very much like doing the $10 max bet on a pokey and, and seeing what you get. <laughs> you're either going to be really upset immediately or you're going to hit a feature and it's going to go nuts, you know? Like, that's pretty much TPJ in a nutshell. Um, he came out round one, threw up 88 points starting on an edge, and everyone thought, how good's this? How smart was I starting with TPJ? Look at this wrecking ball. He absolutely killed the Cowboys. And then he was gone for a month of football. Uh, and then he <laughs> came back. Blistering 61, 69, 60, 114, 75. Got sent off, I think, with 38 points. Uh, 70 and a 51. And then gone for the rest of the year from around 14 to around 20. So it's just, uh, that's that's TPJ in a nutshell. Um, he's only got a 43 base, uh, but it's all about his base attack. You know, his tackle breaks and his offloads. Are amazing. That's exactly what I love to have in a forward. I want the X factor. I want the base attack. And he's going to be able to score some tries. He only had two last year, although he only had nine games. So it's a decent strike rate to say he's going to have half a dozen for this year if he can get through a season. The problem is the season games, you know, starting from 2020, he played nine games, 18 games, 21 games, 17 games, 12 games. You know, that, that 21 games is a real outlier. You know, he's, he's basically missing at least six or seven games a season, aside from that one. So it's just whether, now that he's reached his mid-20s, 
he can get it under control because his his PPM's always been around one. Um, at thirteen, I do like him because of the extra work, but at the same time, he's very damaging uh, running on the edges because it's can get him one on one a lot of the time where he can offload a lot better. So I'm not sure whether I like it as much as other guys of him going into a 13 role, unless, of course, it's going to be huge minutes, uh, which you tended to segue towards it was maybe going to be Wilfred. Well, I see him around the 50, 55-minute mark. That's my just personal guess, based off, obviously, Haas minutes reducing and Carrigan expecting him to drop. So someone's going to have to step up, and I honestly, you know, Pangai's the obvious one. Kevy's really made it clear he's very important to, to the team. And he's also spoken about him playing in the middle. So, I mean, to be fair about last year, like, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, it was a COVID breach, he's not getting suspended for at least the last chunk of the season. So, that's... I think that's just making excuses of it. It can be any any number of off-field things that you get suspended for, and it all comes down to, you know, your, your attitude, judgment, decision-making. So, yeah. you know, it could have been anything else and he probably still gets suspended, you know? Well, what excites me, I guess, is, is in the games from last year, only two games he played in the middle officially with the eight on his back, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, 49 minutes in one game and 62 for the other, uh, 114 and 75. And, you know, his base and base attack for those two games, 75 and 77, which is just ridiculous, ridiculous, right? And that's off the back of, I think he had, what, six offloads in one game and... I think something like five in the other. Some six, actually no, uh, no six six offloads in both games. Some were just not as effective. You know that if that's how he's going to be used, and look, we don't know, but I can imagine you know, because he's so damaging. Right, he doesn't have to be on the edge to get the arm free. Like he was able to look for anybody when he was playing in the middle. Whereas on the edge, he's got to look for. He's off. He, he was often trying to find stags or his right center. Um, so he only looked in the one direction, whereas in the middle he was just anybody in the maroon jersey uh, he was throwing the ball to. And sometimes that ended up with the seagull if he were playing them. But, <laughs> like, I, I think to me, you know, the, the, the absolutely the ceiling is there. I, I I don't think I'm ballsy enough to start with him. He's too expensive for that. But a uh, huge, huge watch on him. Like, that's that's for sure. Yeah. And that's not just because I'm a Broncos fan. I mean, TPJ comes in at 616000 so if you wanted to beat a Pengai Jr., you do have to shell out. Um, I do think that he's got more X factor than what Payne Haas does. Um, if you're looking at saving some money, but it's got a huge amount of risk involved. Um, one of the good things that you can get from a Tavita Pengai Jr. round one purchase, though, is he is a dual second row forward, front row forward. And there isn't as many around these days. They've been a bit harder on the duels the last few years, and you can't get that many great second row forward, front row forward, dual options. So having him to be able to spin around, even with an MPR, if you want to start with one round one, that's a dual. That's that's quite handy. Um, he's probably a touch too expensive for me. Like, I think that if he was 575000 I would almost get sucked in. And I know that that's not a huge amount of difference, but it is for the round one salary cap. I, I think that if he was... He had to be sub 600 to look at him, I think. Um, and I think that preferably you want him, you know, even 550 because of the risk factor. Um but, I mean, to play devil's advocate a little bit, Wilfred, you know, both of us are saying we're not going to start with him. If you do start with him, he's going to be really low-owned. And you, if he does not get suspended or injured and, you know, he cements his role there as a forward leader, which I think he can, all of a sudden you've got, you know, a top pod forward for the start of the season that, that not many others have. 
you know, you don't have to talk to me about being yeah, taking the the gamble on Panga. I've done it like almost every year. Even for me, I would say, look, uh, maybe it's because I've been burnt because I took too many risks last year. But I, I'm staying away from anyone super risky like Pangai for round one. I'm happy to to roll the dice on someone else instead. Yeah, fair enough. I, look, I probably just can't fit him with the salary cap because um, I've got the Madisons and the other guns that I want in my Ford pack, so I'm just not going to be able to do it. But I will finish off on the stat note that uh, Billy loves to talk about. Uh, they start off with the Parramatta Eels, who have given up a huge amount of points to opposing props in uh, prior years in Supercoach. So hitting up them, potential for a try, I would say. Uh, the Titans as well can definitely give up some forward points to the opposition. Uh, the Bulldogs forward packs are generally pretty good, but you know that's not a bad one for him either because I'm pretty sure the Bulldogs allowed, allowed quite a few offloads as well. So the first three rounds has a really good matchups for Tavita Pengai. So if you want to take the part, maybe for even a few rounds, I sort of think the worst case scenario, look, maybe he gets suspended again. If it happens <laughs> at the start of the season, you get three really good games out of him potentially and then just trade him to, to almost anyone else. So I don't think it's as bad as what it sounds because you're going to burn trades at the start anyway to get guys in and change your team around. It's, it's those type of pod moves that can really give you a kickstart, but it's very, very risky. So there's a rising gun that we've got here just to mention, just to give him some kudos, and that was Tony Staggs, who had a great season at 59. He was actually the best uh, Broncos centre wing for Supercoach for last season. Obviously did his ACL towards the end of the season, so he's not really going to be an option for round one at all, but he might come back towards the end of the season. I wouldn't be going near him at any point anyway, though, with his price tag of 518k. That probably handles all the the main guns, potential guns, big balls, pod guns. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the mids and cheapies, Wilfred, because, you know, this is something that I will give the Broncos credit for in the Supercoach world. They didn't go well at all last year. In fact, they were awful. But they still have some good gun options, and they've got a lot of really good mid and cheapy options. One of the mid cheapy options that we're going to talk about is basically whoever's going to have that number one jersey for the Broncos. Now, there is obviously Asako has been rumoured to maybe have another shot at it. He's been given opportunities before there. And then along with that, there's also New, who came onto the scene last year and got re-signed for another season, who reportedly was because he was told that he's going to get a shot at the number one jersey and he played some games last year. So when you're looking at those numbers for both of those guys, certainly with New, I, I bought him last year. Um, there's been some rumours that maybe he'll be at centre. He's going to come in, though, Super coach pricing wise at a very, very paltry 232,000. And he's a dual center wing fullback as well, so that's going to be handy. I don't really care where he's playing. If he's starting in the back line, I think that you absolutely have to get him in at 232,000. He's already got the experience under his belt um, last season where he got to play six games. Two of those were off the bench, only four of them were starting. Admittedly, his four games starting weren't phenomenal. Um, one game was 65 minutes for his 30 points. The next two games, he got 80 in the number one jersey at 53 and 58 points, which was solid. Uh, but then he threw up a 19 stinker in 80 minutes. So he did show propensity to have an absolute stinker, but he did also show that he could put um, some decent 50s up there without actually getting a try, although I think that he had some line breaks in there. For me, uh, I would think that New would be at fullback, Wilfred, but there's been rumours that he's going to be at centre and Asako is going to be fullback. Looking at some of the predicted teams on NRL.com and a few of the other sporting pages, they do have Asako on the wing. What's your take as to who's going to actually snag that, that fullback spot? 
Yeah, everything I've been reading, I think definitely Osako, fullback, and New's going to play centre. Uh, whether that's, you know, for the season or just a place holding until Stags is officially back mid-season or whatever, uh, I expect um, Osako to start at fullback. So uh, I agree, though. I think um, New's cheap enough that he probably, you know, sits at your fifth, sixth, seventh centre-wing option. You don't have to play him as a starter. Uh, that's where I'd be placing him if I could. So, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd uh, make sure I'd put him in because, look, he passed my eye test um, and, and not just the Broncos fan eye test, but, you know, from a super coach perspective, he didn't mind the run. He has the potential to bust a tackle or two and, you know, quite look like he's only going to get better, basically, as he matures physically. Uh, he already looks like a pretty big, stocky guy. So, yeah, I think he, he'll be good for Supercoach, um, at least money-making-wise. I really, really like him. Um, I, I like him as a player, and I like him even more as a Supercoach option. 232k, jewels, center wing, you, you can't go wrong. That, that's exactly the type of guys that you put straight in your center wing. And when you talk about first guys picked, like, you you know, oh, you know Teddy's one of my first picked, uh, Cleary's one of my first picked, blah, blah, all these guns, the guys I knew are also some of the guys that you should have as your first pick. Those guys that you know are guaranteed a spot, unlikely to lose it, cost next to nothing, and are going to play 80 minutes in a back line to plug in your centre wing that aren't rookies with a shaky... Like, they're, they're gold to me. Um, so I'm all over new. Asako, however, I, I'm not all over, and me and you have disagreed on this plenty in the past, but even if he's playing fullback, he started off last year well in the first two rounds, but so did all the Broncos, um, 83 and 63 points in his two 80-minute roles in the number one jersey. Then across his next four stints in the number one jersey, he went 31 points, 14 points, 50 points, uh, which included goal kicking, I'm pretty sure, and then also 27 points across 70 minutes against Newcastle. And then after that, he got dropped to the jersey 14, uh, where he only played 15 minutes, and then he got dropped to the wing for a few weeks, and then he didn't play again from round 11 to round 20. He had a base of 21 points. Granted, you know, it was a, maybe a little bit higher when he was at fullback, but I just, when you talk about the stats, they weren't there for me. When you talk about the eye test, it's not there for me when I see him. Um, and obviously there's been some off, off the field stuff that's quite sad. Um, and we wish him all the best and maybe that detracted away, which I, I know that you brought up before with, with Asako's father and so forth, but, I also brought up the point that it's not his first time that he's been in the number one jersey. I've been disappointed plenty of years before that. Um, so I'm I'm obviously not on a Sarko Wilfred at all. Uh, I know that you feel a bit better about him, but 350k, I probably shouldn't be too down on him because you know if he does have the goal kicking and he does start at one, it, it's fine to take a punt on him. Um, I just don't know how quickly I'm going to be able to get 100 grand out of him when he's got some of those lower scores in him. And I just think the guys I knew, you know, a hundred grand less, um, and some other guys that are, are going to be less than him might be better to put in there with a gun or two. Yeah, look, Sarko. I mean, I'm certainly not bullish on him. I do think, you know, there's hope. Uh, I certainly, I mean, as in, in Reggie's, I mean, he was better prospect than Corey Allen as a fullback. So, you know, it's not like he can't play uh, fullback. It's just. I don't think he's shown it at NRL level, and I get that. Part of that is that he's never really given, you know, been given a, a steady extended shot. Uh, and this is again, you know, how much you read into 2020. Like, I just don't know how much you can count, you know, rounds three, four, five, six. You know, as you said, rounds one and two looked fantastic. Um, and so the Broncos, but then post COVID break, round three onwards, they'll just pass. 
and Osaka was part of that. And then, you know, off-field, off obviously, a lot of dramas in the family. So yeah, even in playing fullback, uh, you know, with goal kicking, he's probably like a comfortable 40-45 average. I can see him potentially um, being a 50-55 average. And, you know, if he goes well, he can average 60. Obviously, that depends on how well the Broncos go overall. So, you know, whether you start off with him and you hope he just maintains value and gets a couple of spike games and then you shuffle him on ASAP. Yeah, look, I, I certainly don't think he's a must-have, um, but he, I couldn't blame people for having a crack um, at that price. And, you know, it, it's it's like you, you know, do you take a risk on a cycle at uh, slightly, you know, 20, 30 grand more than Jake Avarillo, who, for all, from what I understand, will lose the goal-kicking to Flanagan. And, you know, obviously he gets to play 5-8, but... You know, like, obviously, we, we will come to the Bulldogs as well, but you yeah. kind of think, like, is, I, is the goal-kicking potentially worth that extra 30 grand or whatever? That's... Or is it option C where it's worth that to just not have either of A or B and just leave them both out? <laughs> uh... You've got to find someone to put in that team. Oh, I've got new. He's already there. Um, but, yeah, look, it's, it, like Wilfred said, it's, it's not going to kill you to throw him in there. Um, but to be clear, if he's on the wing, if he's not playing fullback, you, I don't think you can go near him. At the end of the day, he could get lucky, but the draw isn't great for for the outside backs for the Broncos. If the Broncos had a killer draw to start with, I could talk myself into very much more easily um, an Asako. If the Broncos were the Broncos from you know years past, where they're a powerhouse, I could talk myself into an Asako. But a wooden spoon Broncos team that didn't have a very good attack and still has the same spine that they had last year, really. it's It doesn't look good for a psycho, let alone if he's going to end up on the wing, which is just a no-go at all. Um, but one of the things that probably deterred me the most is watching him. And, you know, again, maybe he'll change this, maybe the off-field stuff got to him, but I will say watching him for a couple of years, I don't think that he gets involved enough. Um, I do think that he kind of shirks from jumping in there. I don't think that he's putting his body on the line and doing the type of things that you, you want a young guy to be doing. Um, and it's all well and good to say, well, the Broncos went really good the first two weeks and then COVID hit. And then when they came back, you know, they went badly. The attitude wasn't there. But, but those, some of those players are the core reason for that attitude. And the stuff that I saw from Osako on the field, he was one of those guys. You know, you can say that like Carrigan was one of the guys that really tried every week and was doing everything he could. And he was. Osako was in the other group for me when I was watching him, you know, and, and certainly the coach thought that he was in the team did because they dropped him and he played bench and then he didn't play and, you know, everything else. So that's sort of why I'm down on him. I think the, the, a lot, lot of it comes down to the draw and what position he's playing. Um, and if the Broncos' attack was a bit more steady, then I'd probably be more comfortable. Totally get it. I, I don't disagree, yeah. So now that I've uh, sounded like I really hate Osako, which is, <laughs> let's let's talk about another controversial mid-cheapie, and everyone's going to tune in for Wilfred to talk about Milford at an hour or two. They'll probably skip the rest of the podcast until they hear me say Milford right now. But <laughs> Anthony Milford is now a mid-range cheapie category guy. He's there because he averaged 34 points a game in 2020, and he did that still pretty much playing 80 minutes a game. The only time he didn't was his very last game of the season when he played 53, so... He had 12 games out of his 13 where he played any minutes, and he still had a 34 average. He managed to do that with a 14 base, which is horrendously low, um, even for a half. 
Um, if you get rid of the first two two rounds and you talk about the new rules and everything from the COVID restart, under the new rules between round three and round 15 that he played, he only had the one game at 69 that was even above 43 points. And he actually had uh, four games between round three and round 15 in the teens where he scored 11, 19, 14 and 16 points a game. There's no other way to, to sugarcoat it. It was a horrendous season. Um, last preseason, me and Billy were looking at him because we went, oh, he's gone to, well, I should say two two seasons ago, in 2018. Because 2016 and 2017, he went 67 points a game, 70 points a game. Then he dropped in 2018 to 55. Me and Billy both said, oh, look, he's dropped 15 points a game. That's really hard to do. It's got to be an outlier. Players just don't drop 15 points a game and then keep dropping. He dropped to 51 a game, and we went, oh, okay, that's not very good. And then he dropped a whopping 17 points a game. I don't want to say the same thing I said three years ago, but it would be extremely hard for him to drop any less than 34 (laughs) points a game. And looking at the numbers, I don't think you can get any worse than what he played for super coach reasons. Uh, His scoring was really bad. His base was non-existent. He only actually had one trial season. So think about that if you're considering Anthony Milford. He is an attacking freak when he's on, uh, and he went through 13 games last year where he only scored one try. He also didn't have all that many try assists. All of it bodes well for him to bounce back. He could play terrible and still, you know, do 10 points better than what he's at, and he's coming in priced at around 300k. Wilford, I understand people having a crack and saying, you're crazy for going Anthony Milford, but $304,000... For a 5A, especially if there is no cheapies that pop up that are starting 5A or halfback, you almost have to look at a guy in that kind of price range, um, is my opinion anyway. Obviously, there's uh, a Cronulla option, if you want to call Matt Moylan that. It's around 250k. Uh, but those are the type of guys where if there's no cheapies, it's really hard to go four guns in the halves, and you almost have to go one of these guys. Um, so I've half-talked myself into Anthony Milford. Are you there with me? Or are you going to jump off the boat finally? Uh, look, I think, you know, for all the reasons you've highlighted, the numbers-wise, etc., let me put it this way. I mean, you're right. If there's no cheapies available at the 5-8th position, I'm taking Milford over Moreland every single time uh, just because I have more confidence that Milford will play more games. Yep. And, uh, I mean, Moreland's there until SJ's back, and then who knows what happens after that, whereas Milford... I mean, sure, there's a chance that he loses his spot if he's absolutely gross. And, you know, if he is, then you're, you're going to be happy he's gone. And, uh, you know, but yeah, I've got to be careful because anything positive I say is just going to get you know, <laughs> slatted as, as the resident Milford fanboy here. But, uh, look, uh, to be honest, if Connor Watson starts at lock uh, for, for 16 grand less, I'm starting Watson over Milford. So I'll be... I'll be honest with that. Like he's he's the best of you know not many options basically. So I'm not super bullish. I don't think he's going to average where he's going to what I we see what we saw from him in 2015, 2016, even 2017 when he was goal kicking. But yeah, I agree that I I can't see him averaging 30 ish again. Even playing badly, his average is probably more around that 50 mark as opposed to the 34 that we got last year. I think, honestly, Milford was the player who was probably most affected by how bad the Broncos were overall. 
Mm. Oh, look, I was going to say the same thing. I, I, I pegged him at 50 points a game. And it's, it's such a small ask. And that's sort of what you need to look for when you're looking for value in Supercoach, you know. 50 points a game, Milford can still... That's still a pretty bad season for him. But it is 16 points better than what he did in 2020. It's almost <laughs> it's almost a 50% increase. Like, when you look at his price, like... He's going, his output is going to be 50% better than what you pay for if he just scores 50 <laughs> points a game. Like that is, yeah. It's a very small ask for a very, very large return. Uh, you, know, you don't get that with many players. In fact, there, there isn't that many guys that could do it um, at that low price point. And he's only like 100 grand away from rookie price. So it's, I don't see a lot of downside. And, you know, look, it's unlikely, but it's, not, it's nowhere near impossible that he averages 60 points a game again. Um, and if he does that, he's almost doubled his scoring. You know, like it's just he's he's almost gone up a hundred percent. It's just um, the numbers just say that it's a it's a pretty good buy um, to start with him. And the, the downside, if it doesn't come off of the gamble, is pretty low because it's not really going to hurt you much. Uh, and I did make the point too on one of the threads that pe- a few people were kind of really against Milford, and I understand why. But I did make the point that even if he is dirt. That first month of Supercoach, you've got four or five guys in your team sometimes that are absolute dirt. And like two or three of them, you know that they are and you have to play them. Like you've got to play like two rookie gross wingers in your center wing that, you know, out of your 17 because you've gone for heaps of guns. And that's just what happens to start the season. So I'd much rather be playing Anthony Milford that's my dirt than some of these other guys. Um, so that kind of makes more sense to me. And he's only 26 years old. So these are actually his prime years that he's just hitting now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the main thing for me is just that who else are you going to put at reserve halfback? So, I mean, there's some chat that uh, Jack A. Williams from the Sharks is getting some reps at, uh, I think, in fullback, maybe somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who knows what happens with that? Because um, that, that'd be very interesting if you get some actual game time. But you know, outside of that, like, you know, everyone's hanging their hopes on Josh Schuster. I, I think Foran's playing six. Like, I can't see Schuster getting there. He might be 14, in which case I'd rather, yeah, Milford for sure. And then, and unless someone like, uh, like, you know, Tex Hoy might be an option if Pong is out for a couple of weeks, but he's 240,000. Uh, Moreland's 253. And then, uh, yeah, look, you, you're getting up to the Connor Watsons at 288. 600 and then Milford at three or four 600. I mean, maybe if Lachlan Lamb gets the start at, at halfback, in which case we're all probably scrambling to fill Sam Walker's spot, right? So, well, the, Lamb... it's pretty much you're going to pencil in one of the Roosters as, as a reserve half. Like that's that's pretty much a given. Like whoever that reserve half is, that's. But the problem is Lamb's at five eight hooker. That's his dual position. He doesn't play halfback. Yeah, super coach. When I say so... halves, I, I should say the, the traditional sense of halves. Yeah. So I need to. Change that for Supercoach, but halves is in 5'8 or halfback. Whoever gets it for the Roosters, you're putting in your Supercoach spot. But um, that that would be the, the point where you maybe don't have Milford, I guess, if Liam wins that job. Yeah, or Connor Watson gets to start at lock. You know, there's a couple of options around that same price tag. But if those if those fall through, then, yeah, absolutely. I think Milford is the best of a bad bunch. Well, Milford's the, Milford's the main one that's got the job security. Um, I, I don't think Connor Watson's going to start at 13. I don't actually think that Lamb's going to start at this point. Um, I think that the walk is going to, but it's a close call. Uh, it'll come down to the preseason and the trials and how physical Sam Walker can be. I can't wait for the trials. So keen. <laughs> uh, 
I'm super keen. But let's stop talking about Milford because we've yeah. we've run out of time for him. I've got him in my team right now. Um, he's probably going to stay there, but it will depend on the makeup of teams for TLT. A uh, couple other guys, if we want to talk about real stinkers, I am just going to mention um, Corey Oates, just because he is in that mid-cheapy range. Um, but he he's become absolute dirt um, for Supercoach and also in real life. But Corey Oates is a dual secondary centre wing. He's only 245000 So I don't want to spend too much time on this because I really don't think Corey Oates, I really don't rate him very highly anymore. Um for Supercoach or real life, but if he's a starting edge back rower, which I think is unlikely, but if he is, he's probably going to play 60 minutes and he's someone that I'd throw in my centre wing. Other than that, you know, obviously he's going to be on the bench and he's a, he's a no-go zone. Um, do you see him as potentially being able to get one of those edge spots, Wilfred? I'd be really surprised if he did, honestly. Like, I think he's looking at a bench spot, honestly, but yeah, look, you're right. If he's starting on an edge, I think you throw him as your reserve centre wing, possibly, or reserve um, second rower. Position yep. and you know, hopefully, you don't have to play him in your 17. That's about it. Yeah, yep. Um, so he's one to keep an eye on if he gets one of those starting gigs, even if it's only the, the 60 minute mark, he's going to be a decent center wing cash cow, even though he's terrible. Matthew Lodge is another guy that we're going to touch on. So Lodge has obviously had some injuries, had the ACL, he's only 299,000 as a result, coming off a 37.5 point average in 2020. It's been a bit of controversy with Lodge. For, for a lot of reasons over the years, but one of the reasons this year is that some people have brought him up and it's been a very divided opinion on him. Um, some people have said, you know, you, you wouldn't go anywhere near him. Um, and I kind of get that because, you know, three out of his six games last year that he managed to play were all off the bench. Um, he was only playing 42 minutes a game, which was a big decrease from his 57 minutes a game in 2019. Um, his PPM was the lowest it's ever been. But, you know, the other side of it is that if he is starting... Um, at prop, um, or if he even just gets decent minutes off the bench at 299,000, if there's no cheapy front row forwards or even mid-range front row forwards getting those type of minutes, he suddenly becomes a bit of an option. Um, he is playing to get a future contract somewhere, and he is going to have a bit of a point to prove, although he is coming back off an ACL injury, which is always hard for, for big fellas. So I don't have Lodge in my team at the moment, Wilfred, but if he is a starting he has to come into calculations to consider him because yeah, 50 minutes a game, probably going to go up towards 50 points a game, which is a 12-point swing from his 2020 average, looking at the numbers. And at 299000 that's a, a decent um, mid-range forward plug to be able to put in your other guns. Yeah, this is tough because, um, you know, he looked gross last year and how much of that is injury and how much is that just him not being suited to the new rules? Like, his body shape was all wrong. It's just... You know, it didn't play to his strengths, basically. Mm. And and what he did well in 2019 was just, you know, pure physicality and, you know, overpowering people. Like, it just wasn't suited in 2020 at all, and let alone trying to do it off a partial ACL tear. Like, sure, if he starts, you've got to consider it. But I'm just trying to think about the minutes, right? So assuming Broncos, 240 middle minutes, Haas 60, Carrigan 50, Pangai 50, at least 80 minutes for... You know, Lodge, Flegler, uh, Bullimore, or whoever else they've got on the bench. Like, I just can't see how much game time he can possibly steal from that. Like, he might get, what, 30, 35 minutes from that? Uh, like, I'd be playing Flegler more minutes than Lodge at this stage. So. I would be too, um, but I am going to raise the Kevin Walters factor. 
Kevin Wallace yeah, does sure. some weird stuff. And <laughs> and I could see Lodge. The, one of the things that I... I don't want to sound like that I'm having too much of a go at Kevin Walters, but one of the things that I don't like about Walters is it, does, it looks like he's a bit old school still. I don't <laughs> think that he is a new age coach at all. I think that he is a bit old school. Um, I don't think that he's heavy on the strategy and tactics and numbers and sports science and all that stuff. I don't think that he's in the Des Haslam mold in that regard at all. He's definitely my mad scientist. He's more of a a guy that goes up the pub in 1988 and, um, you know, does a team sheet with the other guys at the bar and um, ha- has a random guy pick who starts at 13 each week. That's a, that's a, that's more the coach that I think Kevin Walters is. I'm not trying to be too down on him. You know, there's a, there's definitely a spot for some of that style of coaching. Some players like it and he's probably very personable, I think, and gets along with the players really well on a personal level, which can yield results. But what I'm getting at, is that Matt Lodge is a throwback prop, and I could very much see Kevin Walters saying, you know, he's our tra- he's our traditional prop in our pack. He's that alpha, aggressive, big prop that's going to cart the ball up, get the meters, do all this type of stuff. I'm going to start him. Or, you know, at worst, I'm going to give him 45, 50 minutes off the bench. Um, you know, I could see him doing that and then saying, oh, Flegler's only been in the league for a year or two. You know, he's still got to earn his stripes and that type of thing. I could fully see a Kevin Walters scenario in 2021 where he does that. Look, I, I take your point, but, you know, Kevin Walters is the coach who put Kellen Ponga in the middle and played him at lock for 50 minutes, right? So <laughs> he can do some pretty out there stuff too. Uh, I, I just, yeah, you're right. He, he could potentially play Lodge as the starting prop. Uh, I mean, it's just going to be a trial game watch for me. I think, you know, how Lodge looks there will probably go some way to either reassuring me about that pick or, you know, making it clear like it's definitely a no-go zone for me. Yeah, well, no in the trials anyway, but, like, let's just to, just to cut off Lodge um, early so we don't talk about him too much. But if Matthew Lodge is a starting prop, um, would you be putting him in your team? If there's no better options. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a fair call. There's not going to be many options in prop that are that are cheaper than two ninety nine k and going to be starting. So um so he's he's got to be an option. Um, I well, got, keep in mind my draft team. I got Panhas and Takaha as my starting prop. So like unless there's you know not many cheaper rookie options or you know guys like Spencer Lenny or whatever from the Panthers, you know that I'd be much preferring to put someone like that who's eighty grand cheaper than Lodge. And probably going to get similar minutes and similar work rates. So, like everything in Supercoach, it very much depends on your team build. Like, there's, there's some teams that are going to that should be looking at someone like Lodge, and other teams like Wilfred's setup that probably shouldn't be. Um, you know, like my setup, I've got a gun, and I've got at the moment uh, Murdoch Masala as a placeholder, basically to see what his role is, but also to have a cheaper guy there because I'm decided at the moment I'm not going to spend on front row forwards. So one of my starting front row forwards is going to be a mid-ranger, um, and I've got a stacked back row. So with that, you know, someone like Lodge I have to consider, um, because if he can give me 45, 50 points a game in that spot, and I can have other starters um, that are guns in other positions, that's kind of how I want it. Um, so in Wilfred's case, he's got the two guns, so it's less less relevant for him. Jordan Ricky got pretty big wraps on him. He didn't play too many games last year, only the five matches, um, averaged 42 minutes a game for, for 35 points. Can't take too much out of any of it. There has been talk that, you know, he's, he's someone that might get at a starting edge spot. Um, I wasn't too sure about that. He did start the last game of the season. 
on the starting on the edge, played 80 minutes, and he had 54 points. 50 of that was base, so it was a pretty solid showing, albeit you know small sample size of just the one game. Um, in a 48-minute game off the bench in round 17 against a very good Panthers pack, he threw up 66 points, which included a try. Obviously, small sample size, Wilfred. Some Broncos fans and predicted lineups are saying, oh, yeah, he could be on an edge. Obviously, Alex Glenn is on one edge at the moment and potentially Tavita Pangai on another. But if Tavita Pangai vacates that, you know, does someone like Ricky come into calculations? Yeah, look, I actually think he's the front runner for that right edge spot because I do think Pangai's playing low. So, or playing prop, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, if, if Ricky starts, I think he's a no brainer at that price. And I like, I mean, Again, he's no David Feeder, but he's pretty close at this stage based on his build and, and the type of game he's got. So, you know, he's a, definitely a poor man's David Feeder, that's for sure. Jeez, that's a Broncos rap if I've ever heard one. A bloke that's played five <laughs> games in his life only started no, I mean, one. <laughs> I'm comparing to when Feeder was kind of settling into first grade. Right. Similar, similar trajectory, I guess you could say. All right, very big call, but um, he does look like he's got some talent. He's only 277000 so he's only a hundred grand above base. If he is the starting edge, then you definitely have to look at him because there's a chance that he's going 80 minutes. Uh, it's a bit of a no-brainer, um, and it is... He also passes the biceps test. Oh, well, there we go. He's uh, no Ryan Madison, but he's not too far off. You remember there was that Eels guy, and I... I'm very good with names, and like I, I, I know Lefty like Tanganoa. that's him. There we go, Tanganoa. <laughs> the talk from Tanganoa, he's come down from the Cowboys. He wants a chance. He's been training the house down all preseason. He's got the biggest biceps in the NRL. And then there was like a training photo that was like they told him we're going to take a picture, and he like froze in a passing motion and had just done 15 <laughs> weights right before he took it and was flexing everywhere. And everyone was like, "Wow, this guy's going to kill everyone," and he didn't even get to play. So, you know, <laughs> biceps only tell part of the story, but <laughs> the price point's great, 277k. Um, what it will do, though, either Lodge or Ricky are going to be relevant, not both, because, you know, if Ricky's not relevant, it's probably going to be because Pangai's on an edge. Um, and if Pangai isn't on an edge, he's probably going to be a prop, or Carrigan might even be a prop, and then Lodge is going to be on the bench. So only one of those two guys is going to work out. Um, whoever does work out out of Ricky and Lodge as someone to consider for sure. Um, Ricky, I'd say, is a front-runner because of his youth and the sort of game that he's got. We've spoken about the Broncos for way too long, so let's start <laughs> talking about the Bulldogs. The Doggies are a little bit different this year. Uh, when you're looking at their recruitment, they've lost a lot of players. Jack Cogger, solid backup type of half, started a few games. Kieran Foran, obviously, hardly played for the Dogs because he was injured a lot. Um, Kieran Holland, retired. Tim Lafayette barely played at all last year, uh, and then really just some uh, more depth guys that um, aren't relevant, but I saved the biggest name for last. The great man, Aidan Tolman, the quintessential bulldog of the last 10 years, uh, <laughs> supercoach gun. We can't talk about him as the, the bulldog's gun this year because he's gone, so that's a bit of a loss, but um, you know he's going to be coming off the bench for the Sharks. He's a bit at the end of his career. Uh, for the games, though, like, I'm really excited for the Doggies. I've got a couple of mates that are Doggies fans, and I said, like, I really, really like the recruitment they've done. Um, Corey Allen, I'm not as big on as other people, but it's still a very solid signing for them to put it full back. I love Nick Kotrick. Um, I think he's a great player, and I think the center, he's really going to bloom. It's where he wants to play, where he came through a grade. Uh, I think he's going to be huge value for them. Um, Kyle Flanagan, I don't love as a player, 
but I think it's a good signing for the Bulldogs because they needed someone uh, like him in there. Jack Hetherington is a, a good aggressive prop that they can use as well. Uh, and then the other guys, are mainly depth guys, aside from Corey Waddell, who should definitely get a spot on the bench, who I was really impressed with when he's played with Manly. So the dogs, the dogs recruitment, uh, I thought it's been really solid and I'd like them to improve Wilfred. I think that their side looks better, but I'm kind of in the middle. So at the moment, there seems to be people thinking, oh no, they're still, they're going to be like right at the bottom or then there's other fans that are like, oh, they're a top eight side for sure and they could make a run at the top five or six and, all this stuff. I'm like I'm in the middle. Like I think they're going to improve immensely, but I still think there's a lot of question marks on that spine, which we'll talk about Kyle Flanning in a bit later. But they still don't know who their six definitely is, and it's going to be a young guy. Corey Allen hasn't played a lot of first grade at one, and um, and you know they they don't have a fantastic nine. So I I'm not huge on them, but I do think they'll improve. Yeah, I think Abrillo's uh, supposedly won the job, so at least that's confirmed for the six. But that could be wrong. That obviously can still change. But I'd, I'm pretty sure I read something that said he was, you know, he was confirmed at this stage, playing next to Flanagan. Yeah, I saw him as a, the front runner. Um, I thought that Wakeham still had an opportunity to win the job in the preseason, but yeah, it's um, it, it's still not a fantastic spine anyway. You slice it, I don't think. Not yet, anyway. Maybe they'll. They'll gel together and develop a bit over the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I definitely, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not very excited about the Bulldogs, to put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a look at their draw real quickly. It isn't a phenomenal draw. Certainly, um, the Broncos draw wasn't great. Bulldogs draw, they're not going to play the first bye, so they don't have that going for them. In the first 12 rounds, they do have to play the Panthers twice, and they do play the Storm as well, so those aren't great games for them. But to start off the first month of footy, um, they've got the Knights, then they've got the Panthers, then they've got the Broncos, then they've got Souths, and then they run into the Storm in that fifth game. The first four or five rounds isn't great for them. Uh, the Broncos, they could put on points for, you know, if the Broncos start well, then yeah, maybe they're not as easy as, you know, they have been in the past seasons. But certainly the Storm, Souths and Panthers, three out of those first five isn't great for them. Um, it does get a bit easier after that leading up to the first bye where they do have the Cowboys, the Sharks, uh, and then the Eels, Dragons, Raiders, Titans, and then the Panthers again. So even that back half, you know, the, the second month leading up to the um, the third bite isn't great either. Um, I'm I'm not big on the draw. Um, they do have some guys that we can talk about, though, that could be quite super coach relevant, particularly some under-the-radar guys. So let's get into them. Um, when we're talking about guns for the Bulldogs... I'm going to say this in the nicest possible way, but they're just there's a lot of good players at the doggies, but there isn't many guns for Supercoach. Um, so when we're having a look at it, the only guy that really qualifies is Adam Elliott. And again, the nicest possible way, I have not been kind to Adam Elliott in the past in my assessment of his game. <laughs> and I'm going to give him a lot of credit that last year I thought that he had developed a lot and he'd actually played to the potential that coaches seemed to believe he had for the last four or five years when he kept being able to start in that pack, even though he was showing really nothing to warrant it. But last year, he actually had a real outlier season. So he ended up scoring 61 points a game, which put him into gun status, which was huge for Adam Elliott because the years before, he'd come off 49, 40, and 38 points a game, all of which he was playing decent minutes, you know. He had, 2018, he only played 44 minutes a game. But 2017, he almost played the same minutes as 2020. 56 minutes a game for Adam Elliott in 2017, yielding 38 points. Granted, it was uh, slightly different roles and things, but it's a big leap from 38 points a game 
in 2017 to be able to throw up 61 points in 2020. You know, mathematically, it's a huge, huge pickup in a few years. He did look like a better player. I'm not sure that he looked like that much of a better player. And I think a lot of it came down um, to it being a small sample size. So something I'm always careful of, Wilfred. I do tend to get excited sometimes when I see a small sample size of someone going nuts. And I have to kind of temper <laughs> that a little bit and say, hang on, what have they done for the other 95% of the time they've been alive as an NRL player? And when you have a look at that, you kind of get a better idea of what they might do. So Adam Elliott only had eight games in 2020 to get his 61-point average. Admittedly, in those eight games, he only had the one try. But his base was still only 45. He actually had some pretty good base attack, which I didn't think I was going to see much of from Adam Elliott like I did last year. Starting 13, at the moment, he's a decent chance of being there. He is the only gun, Wilfred. Adam Elliott comes in, priced at a 61 average. Um... I think we have to mention him as the only real gun for the Bulldogs, but I just I can't see him replicating what he was doing last year. Yeah, look, uh, certainly uh, I'm with you on the not not a very big fan of Adam Elliott, but I'll give him credit for playing really well last year in the limited sample size, as you said. I think I mean to to make it even smaller, uh, one of those games he only played 12 minutes because he got injured. And his final game of the season, which was in round eight, uh, he did his shoulder. He only played 54 minutes. So the, the, the big thing is he moved to lock. And that's, you know, sort of a big spike in his work. I think a lot of the games previously was on the edge or off the bench or, you know, a mixture of edge and, and, you know, just not getting 80 minutes a lot of the time. Whereas I think playing lock, he was certainly, you know, far more involved. I mean, what interests me is like, if I look at, you know, post-COVID break. So say from, you know, let's call it the round three to round 20 period where, you know, new rules, um, fast-paced game, et cetera, et cetera. Like, he's only got five games because um, I'm excluding round three where he got hurt after 12 minutes. But you look at those five games and even including his um, in injury, uh, sorry, injury affected final game of in 54 minutes, he's, he's averaged 70.6 in 67.8 minutes. And uh, I just don't think that's sustainable, but it's really interesting to see how much of a difference it made to him. I don't know if it's the the change in position plus the fact that he was also having a good year and good form. But yeah, look, I think the only interest I would have in the Bulldogs is whoever gets the 13 jersey. Uh, right now, it's it's between Josh Jackson apparently the front runner, and potentially I think Adam Elliott might be in the mix as well, given how we played last year. I think the big unknown is, and I don't like picking players from teams where they've um, got a new coach, uh, and, and obviously Trent Barrett's there now, and who knows what he's going to do. Like, I didn't rate him in terms of what he did at the Seagulls. At the Panthers as an assistant, apparently, you know, he took charge of a lot of the attack. Like, they obviously did pretty well there. So is he going to be able to bring that to the Bulldogs and get them playing some attacking footy? Like, I just don't think they have the players to be able to handle that type of style. So, yeah, that's a big unknown for me. So every time you get a new coach, you get new rotations and things like that. I know that's obviously a big you know, contrast to what we've just spent you know, an hour and so talking about the Broncos with the new coach as well. But in that circumstance, I think it's just the fact the old coach was so bad. And we've, we're getting a lot of information from this new coach in terms of the minutes he plans to play each player for and stuff like that. So in the absence of getting anything specific from the Bulldogs uh, or from Trent Barrett about what he's doing at the back row, um, I just, yeah, I, I'm more tempted just to wait and see what happens. But I think put Adam Elliott on a watch list if he does get the 13 jersey at any point. 
Look, he's 540-odd K. I couldn't go near him. Um, even if he's got that 13, uh, I just don't think that it's going to come through for him, what he was doing in uh, last year, and you're just going to end up paying for you know less points, basically. But what I will say is that you mentioned that Josh Jackson's meant to be the front runner. I it's it's a bit of a hard one because I've always said for many years Josh Jackson's best role is lock and somebody at Canterbury just swallow their pride put the 13 jersey on him because he's not offering he tries really hard he's a, he's a good leader but he's a worker you know and he's he's not offering anything to them on an edge in an attack that really needed something else and he they just they wouldn't do it and that's why I just I have to think that someone at the Bulldogs board is going to come down and say to Trent Barrett, you know, they're going to they, they would have been showing him around the facility. Here's where you get your lunch. Here's the toilets. Here's the weight room. Uh, and by the way, here's Adam Elliott's locker. He's our number thirteen next year. You're not allowed to change it. You know, I just I feel like that that's part and parcel of the Bulldogs because they just don't seem to want to drop him. Um, and I I haven't really got it, but he played well last year. But you do mention Josh Jackson. If he starts at lock, he becomes more interesting to me, than what Adam Elliott does. Um, and it really comes down to just value with Josh Jackson. Like, he's on an edge. He's just not going to do anything for us. Um, and from a super coach perspective, that's always been the case. Um, he's kind of always been just below gun status and somebody who could never really get big scores. Like, you know, in between 2016 and 2019, his average was always between 55 and 58 points a game. It was solid, but it never deviated highly. So you're never going to make a lot of money out of it. And you were also never going to get some blow, blow away scores that were going to win you some head to heads either. You know, he was just solid mid 50s most of the time when he was scoring. He didn't deviate much at all. In 2020, he only averaged 50 points a game. Now, if he was at lock, you could just about pencil him in with that work rate at sort of 65 points a game potentially. And he's all of a sudden 15 points undervalued. Josh Jackson's coming in at a very paltry price point of only 439,000. So that's when it maybe becomes interest for us for Supercoach. But, I mean, I'll put it to you, Wilfred, if Josh Jackson starts at 13, Adam Elliott's going to end up on the bench. Yeah, are they going to try and curtail Josh Jackson's minutes, do you think? Do you think it's going to be a bit of a Boyd Cordner almost situation where they're going to say, you've got a lot of miles on you, even though you're one of our leaders. We're going to, you know, try not to play your big minutes. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think, I mean, I can't see Jackson playing more than 60 minutes, like, at his age, uh, with him slowing down a bit. And, you know, they've got some pretty good back rowers. Like, obviously, Fitella Mariner, I think, would have locked down one of those edges for sure. And then, you know, they've got, well, I guess they'll put Elliot on the back, on the other one, right? It's just, uh, it's, it's tough. I think, you know, they've probably got three decent back rowers that they're trying to fit in. And obviously, then you've got Josh Jackson potentially at lock. So, yeah, three back rowers on edges and one who can probably play some lock as well. So uh, it just doesn't bode well for Jackson's minutes. So again, new coach. I just can't trust the rotations. I'd just be just wait and see, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I I think I'm just going to steer clear of both of those guys. Definitely, I think Adam Elliott might be a bit of a mistake to go near, even if he's starting 13. Uh, a guy that's a bit of a fallen gun is Hopalati. So Will Hopalati is someone who. Has gone to fullback in the past and absolutely killed it. He ends up getting shafted back to centre all the time. Um, he's had a huge base-base attack. Some of his games have been unbelievable base-base attack. Between 2017 and 2019, he was 59, 59 and 57 points a game. 
For a center wing uh, that's close enough to gun status, I've said before, Wilfred, that you know center wing so volatile and has so many low-scoring players that, to me, anyone that's sort of above 55 is, is close enough to gun status for there. But in 2020, he only scored 45 points a game. He only managed 13 games during that stretch as well. Uh, a lot of that's down to the fact that one of the games was only a five-minute cameo where he got hurt and then was out for a couple of months and he only scored two points if you take that out of it, his average is back up into the 50s. Um, so that was definitely uh, a big issue. The other thing that happened as well is that the dogs obviously weren't that good. Um, and even in that that sort of last month of football, that's when his average really took a hit. You know, his last five games, he went 24, 36, 31, 48, 32, all wearing the number one jersey. And all those games, the base was between sort of 22 and 34 points, which is pretty unlike. Um, the Hoppalati from past seasons when he's been in the number one jersey. So I do see a little bit of value there. Will Hoppalati comes into this season um, as a dual centre wing fullback, and he's only going to cost you 398000 So when we're talking about those guys that are sort of in the 300s, he is more of the top end of it, but I can definitely see why there's interest. But traditionally, he's never been as good at centre as what he is at fullback, and obviously he's going to play there now. So... Can you see him reverting back to the type of base that we've seen him do before and sort of bounce back from what he did in 2020? It's a really tough question, hey, because, again, you know, new halves pairing, new coach, it's really, really hard to predict. Like, the fact that he won't play fullback is a real downer to me. Like, I was interested in before they signed Corey Allen. I mean, even looking back at 2019 and, and 2018, Sure, like there's games in there where he's played fullback, but I think from his center games, he still averaged 57 points per game in 2019 yep. and 54 in, in, in 14 games in 2018. So there's certainly potential there. It's just, it's, it's a huge question mark about this team altogether. Like I'm minded just, if you're going to gamble on a center wing, like I think you're better off gambling on Avarillo who, you know, he's got a lot of potential and he's a bit more unknown as opposed to someone like Hopper who who's traditionally benefited most just from being able to play fullback. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about him as well. We can segue straight into the mids conversation because there's a lot of mid options for the Bulldogs um, and only one of them is actually a back and that's Avarillo. So I'm, I'll say that I'm interested in Hopper, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, I can see it potentially working out if you need a sub-400 guy. I don't know whether I take Avarillo over him. I really don't. It's it's a really tough call. But Avarillo, obviously, you mentioned, is um, penciled in temporarily to take the number six jumper. He had a, an up-and-down season where he was shafted between not playing in the side to playing centre to being put on the bench to, you know, playing in the one jersey. Well, actually, playing in the six jersey, I'm sorry. So between bench six and four, he was shafted all, all different ways. In the end, he ended up averaging 55 minutes for 37 points a game, but that doesn't really tell you the story. I don't even know if he could take much away from when he was in the halves, but he did have the two games in the halves where he played 80 minutes and he scored 71 and 56 points. I, I do like the eye test of him, and I think you can't really look at his numbers because it was too much pushing him around in different positions and the Bulldogs were a bit of a shambles. He is an odd duel that could work out really well, though, as a centre-wing half, which you don't get very often. Now, I think that's his biggest quality for Supercoach, the fact that you can put him in at centre-wing. And I made a comment on one of the Supercoach articles um, that was really early on where I was like, unless Avrilo's kicking, and he's not going to be kicking because Flanagan's there, he's not an option uh, because I'm not going to have him in my halves 
and he can really stink it up still, and Flanagan's going to be the dominant half. Then I saw that uh, they actually did the right thing, and they gave him the dual centre wing, and I've completely changed my tune on him now. So as a centre wing, um, I definitely think at 330-odd K, he is an option, and he's one that I'm having a look at as well. I guess devil's advocate, Wilfred, he, he can have some lower games in him for sure, and I'm questioning how much... I did see him as a little bit passive at times last year in going and looking for the ball or getting it. And I'm wondering if Flanagan's going to be really dominant um, and Corey Allen's going to try and make his mark from fullback, whether he's sort of going to be the third playmaker. Um, that's probably the only worry with it, that maybe you'll be a slow burn for 100k. Yeah, look, I certainly can see that. I mean, a lot of it just comes from the fact that I, I liked what I saw from him, even in a couple of games in the halves. Yeah, I'm not getting too carried away with the numbers itself, but he just looked like exciting you know I'm not comparing him to Cody Walker but he had that type of feel at times where just giving the ball and something happened uh whether he created for himself like there was times where he just all of a sudden he's just broken the line and he's halfway down the field and I'm just like what happened and and like it's just some players like that right and and that's why I think you know at that price tag that I mean I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Flanagan's kicking because they have the same percentage average last year like Averillo kicked, uh, albeit a much smaller sample size, only had 15 attempts, but he still kicked at 80% um, compared to Flano, who who was at 80% as well, uh, albeit from like 113 attempts, something like that. But, you know, like they, they might have a kickoff and, and maybe Flano doesn't have to kick because he's going to be focusing on leading the team around and, and Averillo was already kicking for the team. Maybe they let him keep it. Who knows? Like... Obviously, if he does kick, it's a bit of a no-brainer. But to me, I think the the upside is certainly there. The the dual position, as you said, is a big, um, you know, it's pretty attractive because, like, let's say your five-eighth cheapy option, mid-range option, like Milford, Moylan, whatever, fails or gets hurt, or whatever, you can swing Avrilo up and trade your five-eighth to a center wing. So that makes it a lot more, you know, a, a, a quite a useful. Uh, dual position in that sense. So I'm seeing more, you know, unless there's like a a much better option that, that props up. Like I, I just think you're going to need a couple of those guys around that price tag in your center wing. Uh, there's only so many players you can go cheap and nasty with. And to me, like I think you're better off just taking that risk um, on someone like Avarillo rather than, I mean, who else at that price tag you know, are you going to consider? Well, I mean, there's guys like New, obviously, that we've just spoken about that I'd have straight in there. Um, so that's one. Uh, again, we, we've said it a couple of times, but it depends on your team makeup. Like, you know, I've, I had a build where I had like, I don't even want to say it was three gun center wings because they weren't good enough. So <laughs> I'll say <laughs> two, two and a half gun center wings. Um, and then like New and then like three cheapies. Um, the other guy that comes to mind as well is um, Charlie Staines is quite popular for 295k. That's another guy that's sort of in that price range as well that people are uh, looking at heavily. Yeah, I mean, looking, you know, I, I spoke about my team before. Like, it's pretty gross when I look at my center wing because Avarillo is my most expensive guy right now. And then I've got Staines. I've got James Roberts. I've got Dan Laurie on the expectation he's going to move to the Tigers and play fullback. Then I've got uh, New. Uh, on the bench, and I've got Simonson, and then I've got Suwali. Wow. I, I've got so, no idea why it's been a six-year drought for you winning overall. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I go more expensive at center wing, honestly. Like, 
this is the cheapest and nastiest I've gone for for years. But... That is real nasty. Look, I, I. Well, if, this is still the first draft, so. <laughs> if Avrilo, um, if Avrilo gets a kicking, he's a no-brainer, and he should be in everyone's super coach team. Um, if he doesn't get the kicking, uh, I, I really think it's a bit of a 50-50 um, because the, the dog's draw isn't that good like we spoke about before. So they may not be scoring that many points anyway. So unless he's getting the kicking, he might not get some um, as much attacking stats, especially if the other guys are more dominant ball handlers. And then that, that becomes a bit of an issue where he's going to score some real low ones, uh, particularly if you're going to be starting him in your centre wing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he's an option. If you're kicking, he's a definite put him in. If he's not kicking, I, I think that you've got to toss him up with the other ones. I may very well leave him out. I may put him in. I haven't quite decided yet, and I kind of think that's the bucket that he's in. But there is a lot of other mids, Wilfred, so I want to touch on them as well. Joe Stimson's a real interesting one, because I, I quite rated him at the Storm. He did have some stinkers for Supercoach, where he played big minutes, but didn't go too well. But it was a fairly small sample size, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He went in as a signing last preseason and subsequently got injured. Pretty much straight away. Played 70 minutes for a gross 29 points in the first round. And then in the second round of the season in 2020, he played 28 minutes for a, a, uh, 18 points. So the starting 12 back then in round one and two in 2020, it was the first time he'd really got an opportunity. Um, he hasn't really gotten a big minute role where he's played, you know, above sort of 50 minutes a game before. He's coming in at only 228,000. So he's extremely cheap. Um, I've got him in my team at the moment as a bit of a placeholder, but if he's on the bench, it's probably going to be a little bit too gross. Where you know you don't you want to avoid those real slow burning plotter bench forwards, and that's what he's going to be. If he can somehow jag a spot um, in the starting pack on an edge, then he becomes quite interesting. Um, I'm just not sure what's going to happen. I I did think when they signed him a year ago that Joe Stimson was going to be a starting edge for them for for a couple of years. Um, and then obviously he lost that job. So where do you kind of stand on, on Joe Stimson? Do you think that he can win one of those edge spots? I don't. I think he's slipped back. Like, the injury doesn't help him. And I think, like, even someone like Corey Waddell's probably ahead of him at the moment. So I would suspect, you know, most likely you've got, you know, I, I think RFM's locked down one edge. Like, he played too well to yep. not have been given that. And I think Adam Elliott, like again, off the back of his form from last year, I think if he's not locked, he's probably starting on the other edge, is my guess. So maybe Stimson's on the bench fighting it out with Waddell for minutes on one of the edges. Like I, I agree with um, Fatala Mariner is there. He is going to be there. Um, what I think is interesting, if if, if reputations were out the window, um, you know, and you had a fresh coach come in, I think that there is definitely. A very good argument that Adam Elliott is a bench player and he can play middle or edge, so that's quite valuable off the bench. Uh, and you have Josh Jackson at 13, RFM on one edge, and Joe Stimson starts on the other edge. I think that's the only way that it will actually work, aside from obviously an injury. Common sense wise, I think there is some sense to it. Uh, whether Trent Barrett's brave enough to pull that kind of trigger when Adam Elliott played quite well for the start of last season. Or, you know, I probably won't happen. How many times has Adam Elliott got in the way of other super coach options? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's not go back and talk about Dean Pay and his back row rotation. Uh, so. <laughs> no, nah, let, let's not. Look, if, if Stimson's starting, he's a no-brainer. You've got to put him in. He's just too cheap at 228k. Even if he just gets 60 minutes, he's going to make you cash. One of the other guys in the pack that people are jumping on is Hetherington. 
went over to the Warriors for a season last year from the Panthers, uh, was pretty aggressive, had some entertaining clashes with some of the other props like uh, Hargraves and a few of the others as well. He really tried to stick it to a few people. Uh, I like that. Bit of a firebrand, bit of a throwback. Um, didn't mean that he was getting sent off to the sin bin, but, you know, that's fine. But for a super coach perspective, I was slightly perplexed at how many teams I saw putting him in. So Hetherington's just under 300k, but he really didn't show a huge amount of upside in his games, even when he started. So, I mean, like he had a 70-minute game where he scored 24 points last year, and he's not getting 70 minutes. He had another game at... Uh, you know, 44 minutes where he scored 31. I'll give him props that he had another 80-minute game where he scored 59, but that's the only time pretty much that in bigger, decent minutes that he's actually scored well. You know, a lot of the other ones, you know, he, he just didn't. His PPM was 0.73, which is horrendous for a middle forward. I get that the price point's around 300k, but you've also got guys like Murdoch Masala around 300k, and we've spoken about a few other options as well. Even in Matt Lodge starts 300k, I'd rather him. And even just spending a little bit more, you know, to get somebody else in there instead so you don't have to start a Jack Hedrington. I'm struggling to see why people are so interested, aside from possibly the price point. Uh, and I also am not certain that he's going to be a starting prop either. Yeah, look, I don't see it at all. I, I mean, he's fun to watch on the field, but that's about it. Like, super coach, move on. <laughs> Well, the thing is that people aren't even thinking about is that Luke Thompson is, is a gun. Like, I really rate Luke Thompson. And he's out for the first month of the season. But when he comes back, you know, I, I actually think Luke Thompson could be a really good lock. But he's not going to unseat Josh Jackson if he's got that lock spot. And he's not going to unseat Adam Elliott because it's Adam Elliott. And no one pushes him out of 13. So, you know, Dylan Nupper's not going to get benched. Uh, Jack Hetherington's gone. You know, like... Your best case scenario, even if he gets named round one, is that he's a trap because a month into the season, Luke Thompson's going to come in and take his spot and he's going to struggle to get any minutes and score 20 points a game. I don't even see his best case scenario as being any good. I'm with you on that. So, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give a shout-out to Luke Thompson. Uh, he He's another guy that uh, we'd normally talk about, but he's out for the first month of the season. At 450k, um, I've got him on the watch list. I actually think Luke Thompson could, could go real well now um, with one season under his belt of NRL. And uh, I think he could come in and go gangbusters. So I'm going to be looking at him for a potential downgrade uh, five or six weeks in. Big Ball's pod, Wilfred. We've already touched on him. For Talon Mariner, he very quietly had a very good season. Um, a few astute super coaches brought him in, but he never really got much ownership at all. Uh, but he had a much better season than his ownership would have suggested. 59 points a game, very close to gun status. Uh, 48 of that was pure base, um, and he did that with 69 minutes a game. There was even some suggestion in his games in 2020 that there's still some upside in him because in the first three weeks of the season, um, he came on from Jersey 16 and 17, uh, and he only played 27, 23, and 31 minutes a game. And also in round 14, he was injured very early, so he only played 27 minutes. So all the rest of his games, bar one, 64 minutes, were 80-minute games. Uh, but he did have those four games, which were completely affected. So his 59-point average was really more closer to a 65-point average. Um, and that's possibly what we could expect from him this year, locking down that starting edge role. He was a guy that could attack really well. He didn't score a try for the first uh, seven rounds of the season. And then round 8 to round 20, he actually went across the line for 6 tries. So 6 tries in 12 games is a pretty good strike rate for an edge uh, forward, especially playing for the Bulldogs. It didn't have much attack 
and now their attack should be better. It is a bit of a ballsy one because obviously the second row spots are stacked. There's a lot of good options, which is why I say he's pretty ballsy. But if you actually look at the numbers, you know, I'm hard-pressed to say that he can't average 60 points a game. He should very well do that. And at 520k, he is a lot less than some of the more fancied options. Yeah, look, I totally agree. I mean, he was one of the players who I like. I felt like I, from rounds four, five, six, and seven, I mentioned him week after week, but I never had the balls to get him myself. So Big Balls Pod is definitely a good description for him. Uh, look, there's some chat that I think, uh, and this is always like third, fourth-hand information, but Trent Barrett compared um, RFM to, like, he's the Bulldogs equivalent of Billy Kikau, which I don't quite see myself, but the, the takeaway from that is I think they want to get him the ball and let him attack, basically. So that, to me, is you know good for him. I think it means that he's going to get more opportunities uh, to score tries, and that's obviously... You know, you said six from 12 games is pretty good already. So there could be improvement there. The only downside to it is obviously I think a lot of that coincided with Kieran Foran actually playing well and having a consistent run of games in the back half of last year. Yep. Uh, so no Foran, uh, new halves partners regardless. Like I get the appeal, but I think it'd be staying away. And, you know, that's why I like, I'd rather have maybe Avarillo there at the cheaper price point. If if RFM goes well and scores a few tries, then maybe Avarillo is the one setting him up. So you kind of benefit off the back of him that way. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I, I'm actually quite interested in him, but I'm not going to end up doing it because I, I want to opt for the other options. I'm going full out with Gardens in my second row, so I'm finding it hard to put him in. But if I saw a team with him in there, uh, I, I wouldn't talk someone out of it. I think he's a really, really good pod. What I'd probably just say from a strategy point of view, and we'll move on, is if you do start with a Raven for Taylor Mariner in your second row, don't get any other pods in there, um, in, your, <laughs> yeah. in your forward pack. Like, you can take the one ballsy pod in your forwards. Don't go for two or three. Like, that's what you have to make sure you do with your, your team setting. Um, same with all the other spots, you know. A, a ballsy pick in, in center wing that doesn't work out is fine. Three ballsy picks in your center wing that don't work out is absolute murder. So just make sure you pick and choose your battles. Don't have too many big balls pods in your team. Moving on to the two most, imp- well, I think the two most exciting players from a supercoach perspective in the Bulldog side that we're going to finish off on. One of them is a rising gun, and that is my boy Nick Kotrick. So... I've been a Kotrick fan forever. Uh, I was, I really wanted the Raiders to unleash him and give him a centre spot. Um, I've been pretty critical, as some people will know, of the Raiders not, not giving him a go in centre. Um, I don't think that 550k for a rep player that wanted to play centre that's only 22 years old was too much to ask. I really wouldn't have signed Curtis Scott to play centre and said no to Nick Kotrick, but here we are. Um, I think it's good for the dogs as far as his game, though. It was a real up-and-down season last year. You know, he was right at the top of the NRL as far as tackle breaks go, one of the best in the business, and that translated well for his super coach, uh, but he still only averaged 48 points a game in 2020. That was eight points better than 2019, so it was a good improvement, um, but it still wasn't that sort of 55 to 60 area that I thought that he could have got to. He did have some big games, uh, 102 points he had, and he also had some other games where... um, they were, you know, decent scores like 82 and 79 and stuff, but he managed to do that with a heap of tackle breaks in there. Some games where he was breaking like 12 tackles a game and stuff, which was ridiculous. Um, so you could tell that he just needed to get some ball. And I think that was the biggest thing. Like he was going in and doing a lot of work. 
uh, but he just wasn't seeing any ball. Um, so he was, he actually scored a good amount of tries. Um, so he ended up scoring, uh, 12 tries in the year out of his 20 games. So he actually had a good strike rate and there was a lot of tries there. It just, he could have gotten a lot more. Like he's a bit of a strike weapon. So I actually think coming in at a 48 average, Nick Kotrick is at a decent price point at around 425k. At center, we would expect his base to go up quite a bit. And I don't think that his base attack's going to go anywhere. I actually think that his base attack's going to be really good still. And I still think that he's going to go in there and hunt for the ball. So all the good stuff from last year, I think, is going to be there. And I think that he's going to get more ball and obviously more tackles as well. So I kind of see it as a bit of a resurgent year for him. Obviously, first year in his new contract, Wilfred. I think that he's going 55-plus on an average. Whether seven points better is worth spending the 420k in center wing probably depends on your team. Yeah, it's a tough one because, I mean, you can certainly see the potential there, right? He looks like an absolute monster, a beast of a man, but he just doesn't get involved. Like, a lot of the time, if he feels like it, he can bust five tackles in one run, and then he does nothing for another half hour. Look, uh, only two games playing centers last year, right? He made five tackles in one game and four in the other. So, I don't know about getting lots of tackles. We'll have to see if that actually arises. <laughs> well, it's going to be it's going to be lots compared to what he got on the wing. So <laughs> put it that way. Those like that's he had um, yeah one game where he played wing. He made six tackles. So yeah, five and four from his. I mean, it's two games sample size, but you know, I, I was surprised. I thought at least he should have you know eight, nine, ten tackles playing center. But yeah, it just doesn't seem to like get involved even at center. But again, two games from last year, so. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Like I said, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like he's great to watch. He's got so much potential there. But for super coach reasons, I think I'm going to be happy just to wait and see with most of his Bulldogs team yet again. I can't see myself starting with him. Like just there's there's better options at that price tag. Yeah, I would have had high interest in Nick Kotrick if the Bulldogs draw was better. Without a, a great draw, um, I'm hesitant to jump on him. He's at a decent price at 420. Um, there's definitely an argument just to go for it. I wouldn't say if someone wanted to take a punt on Kotrick as one of their punts in centre wing, I wouldn't say no to it. Um, I could see him going really well. Um, I could see him being one of the best centres in the game at some point. But yeah, the, the draws just um, turned me right off him. You know, probably when he signed with the dogs, I actually said, and I might have even said to you, I'm penciling him in now. I want him in my centre wing when we start the next season. But then obviously the draw came out and I was like, oh, I'm not that keen anymore. Pretty sure my response to that was uh, I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, he, he can be my Milford, okay? No, it's all good. We all have our favourite players. And I can certainly <laughs> see the potential there. But for Supercoach, I'm trying to be more critical and, like, you know, even my analysis of Milford, I feel like, yeah, like, there's a better option of going that way. As much as I, Milford is my boy, I, I, that's, this is how I'm going to bounce back from my shocker last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other guy that's very interesting um, in this side is obviously the big signing of the halfback, Kyle Flanagan, coming across. He's going to be dual halfback 5'8", but he's going to cost you 525k to bring in. Average 59 points a game in 2020. I've actually got him labelled as a as a mistake and avoid. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with that, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I've actually seen him in a, in a reasonable amount of teams around the traps, and I don't really understand it. Numbers-wise, he averaged 59 a game last year, which was great. I do think that he's going to be goal-kicking. I don't see him losing the goal-kicking, so I think that's going to be there. 
But, you know, he was in one of the top attacking teams in the competition, and he's going to one of the bottom attacking teams in the competition that might very well improve. That's fine. But he's not going to match the attacking output that he had at the Roosters while he's at the Bulldogs. That's for a start. Um, so, you know, the attack that he had isn't going to be there. The amount of goal kicks isn't going to be there. And their draw we've already spoken about has not been great. And he started last year at a much cheaper price point. Um, coming in at 525k this year, under all circumstances, I just don't see why anyone is really considering him. And when you go through the numbers, you know, he had a huge game of 118 points when they towed up your Broncos by 60 points. Uh, and then a few other nice games that were sort of, you know, one at, in the 90s at 92, didn't have any in the 80s, had a couple of 77s. Had a lot of games at 40, 36, 50, um, 29 point game in 80 minutes that included goal kicking still, obviously. And a few others sort of around 40. You know, he hit 60 plus points 44% of the time. And he missed a couple of games when he got dropped as well. I really don't see him as, as an option in a really, really important position that I think in the halves being halfback and 5'8", you either spend money on a short thing or you put someone in there that's cheaper, even if that's like 300k Milford cheaper or whatever, that's going to make you cash. You don't sort of spend that 500 plus K on someone that might go okay but isn't going to be as good as the guns that you could have bought. Look, totally agree. I don't see the appeal of Kyle Flanagan at all. I don't really read him as a player, let alone as a super coach option. And I think, you know, you talked about them going, him going from, you know, one of the best attacking units. Like, to, to put it in context, um, it's actually the second best attacking team of the last 10 seasons. That's how well the Roosters <laughs> went. The only team that beat them was the 2016 Canberra Raiders as a, on a points per game basis as a team. So, like, the Bulldogs are one of the consistently worst attacking teams. Uh, I think I looked at it, 16.3 points per game from that 59.2 points per game average. That's purely his goal kicking. So that, I mean, 16.3, I, I expect his goal kicking maybe is more like like eight points a game. So that's going to be halved, if uh, if at all. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, big stay away from me. I generally try to avoid, you know, picking a, a player who's gone to a new team, especially in a, you know, a team where he doesn't know anybody. Like, he's not like he's got a history of playing with any of these players here. I think it's going to be a tough time for him to build combinations and, and, you know, learn how to steer a, a team where there's some pretty experienced players, uh, who might, you know, I don't know how they're going to respond to being ordered around by, from what I understand, is someone who can be pretty direct and uh, can rub some of the senior players the wrong way, well, if I, you believe the rumours. <laughs> look, I, I'm not sure what to make of Trent Barrett, um, because I'm sort of the same as you. I, I liked him as an assistant a lot, and I didn't really like him much as a um, as a head coach. So I'll wait and see. He's, he's a, he has only coached for you know a short amount of time, so we'll see how he goes. But I think the thing with Kyle Flanagan as well is, you know, other people might argue, Wilfred, that the transition that you're talking about in a new team with guys he doesn't know was what he did at the Roosters and he still went fine. He had James Tedesco, Luke Keary, and Jake Friend as his spine partners. You know, and he had Trent Robinson as his coach. And Trent and Robinson... Angus Crichton. Angus, Angus Crichton beside him. Like, Trent Robinson specifically said to him, mate, you don't, you don't have to overplay your hand. This is a structure that I want you to do. Kiri and Teddy will do all of the fancy stuff and whatever, and Jake will run the rock. Like, you just do these couple of things for me. It was a very, very easy game plan for him. Absolutely. And now at the Bulldogs, it's like, 
You wanted to get paid, Kyle? You got paid. You are now the man. Good luck letting Corey Allen and Jake Averillo, who might get dropped for Wakeham, run the show for you and whatever pleb that we want to put in hooker next. Like, it, it is honestly so night and day. Um, and I, I wanted to let you be a bit more down on Kyle Flanagan before I unleash because I'm the Roosters fan. So <laughs> I needed to make sure it wasn't um, me starting the segue. But I don't rate him hugely as a player either. Uh, I don't think that he's a bad player. I've said before many times that I don't like the narrative that he was made a scapegoat and it was unfair. There was a hundred players that weren't re-signed last season. Like, he's just another player that wasn't re-signed. When it hit November, he was up for a new contract. He asked for double the money at the Roosters and the Roosters signed Walker after they had already agreed with Kyle Flanagan. They liked Walker as a talent. They had him for less money. They had the option to give Kyle Flanagan three years on double the money or say, actually, we're just going to finish up on that last season that you got. And, you know, they made a decision personnel-wise, which everybody makes every single year, and a hundred other players got shafted, you know, in the past 12 months. It, it's it's crazy to me that it's a, a scapegoat thing, you know. They've got a better talented player already there. I'm not going to ramble on it too much, though. I don't, don't wish Cole badly or anything, and I don't think that he's a bad player. But as far as the things that are big question marks, whether he can actually be a lead half in a side, and be, or be a star half in a side, big question marks on whether he can do that. Um, his playmaking wasn't fantastic. Um, even the year before last, he was missing goals in front for the Sharks and actually had a, a much worse goal-kicking percentage than what TKO did. And then on top of that as well, you know, as much as people want to say it's rumours and stuff, there has been attitude problems and stuff that have sort of come out. You know, maybe that'll work in his favour and he'll have a massive chip on his shoulder and he'll play really well. That's great if he does. Like, I wish him all the best. You know, I always want to see talented kids succeed. But... I'll finish off by saying he was an absolute speed hump in defense several times last year. And part of the Roosters' defensive lapses were on Flanagan. You know, like they had to work pretty hard as a unit to help him. And when we had to play him that sort of last couple months of the season, we were in trouble. Like that Souths game, everybody was bad. But Flanagan had guys one-on-one run over him twice, I think it was, in that one game and score a try. Like... He's got a lot of things to work on. He's only a young man at 22. He might work on them. I just, you can't possibly give him the sort of um, accolades and excuses that, that a few people are giving him, I think. Yeah, look, some of those misses in that game you mentioned, I'm like, I see Milford miss a tackle like that and he gets like absolutely, you know, doggy piled on for, for, for ages and Flannery, like, it, no one bats an eyelid, you know? So <laughs> it's so interesting how different players just have a different perception and, and you know, uh, I, I look. I totally agree. I think if Lachlan Lamb didn't get injured, I don't think Flano plays at the end of last year. Well, I said on this podcast, like when he got, like I said, he's going to get dropped, and I don't think he's going to come back. And he did get dropped, and he wasn't going to come back. You know, there was no chance he was coming back in that side aside from injury. Like it was only because of injury that, not because Lamb wasn't the preferred half. And they were a hundred percent trying to get Sam Walker up to speed last year. He was running it. At Hargraves and TKO, um, all through the training sessions, they were trying to toughen him up. They put, I think, six kilos on him. You know, they wanted him to get ready for first grade. They tried to fast track it, but it just wasn't going to get there. So, yeah, as far as they're concerned, they've got two guys on the books that are, they rate better than Flanagan. You know, and that's not me saying Flanagan's bad, but it's just a really obvious personnel decision. And as far as the Bulldogs go, you know, I think that he, 
He could very he could very well have a long career flaming in. I don't think he's a nut. I think he's a talented player still, but I could see him struggling a lot to adjust to that new role at the Dogs. I mean, for me, like a guy like Kieran Foran, when he was able to stay healthy, even he struggled to make much of the Bulldogs team at times. So. Mm. Good luck, Fano, as all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, look, it's what he wanted. Um, you know, good luck to him. He's got three years now and good money to, to lead a side. As far as super coach goes, to stay away. Like, I'm top five stay away targets, you know, as far as the guys I've been seeing inside. Don't go near Kyle Flanagan. On that note, we're going to finish off on the dogs and on the podcast, Wilfred. Thank you for jumping on again. Supercoach Champions podcast. Um, give that a listen as well. Uh, you guys are throwing up some good content. Love listening to it myself. And we'll have you on again during the actual season to talk Broncos. Yeah, especially when like uh, we're we're coming last after f- round six or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be well on your way to the spoon then. But I reckon that if I give it a couple months, you'd be in that acceptance phase, and we'll be able to <laughs> be able to have fun with it at the start. You might be a bit too upset. Well, no joke. It did take me a couple of months to really hit that acceptance stage in 2020. So. <laughs> Let's take it slow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No worries until then, Wilfred. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You can obviously download us on SoundCloud and also on iTunes. Hopefully, by the time this is recorded, we'll also be on Spotify, which is coming very shortly as well. So everyone that's been requesting that, you're going to get your wish. We'll be on Spotify as well, and you'll be able to tune in there too. Um, do subscribe where you can because you'll get the episode straight away, particularly if you've got an Apple iPhone. Go for the iTunes subscribe button. You'll get it straight away downloaded to your phone as soon as we're on there. Uh, other than that, guys, good luck with your teams. Good luck with the building. It's a lot of fun. Supercoach is now officially open, so you don't have to have the team builder, which is great. We'll be chatting again next week with two brand new teams and a brand new exciting guest. So it's going to be great. Until then, good luck with your sides, and we'll chat next week.